The following episode of The Plate Meeting contains content that some viewers may not find suitable. Viewer discretion is advised. Coming up on this edition of The Plate Meeting, Dale Scott joins us to talk about his umpiring career, life in retirement, and so much more. It's The Plate Meeting at Close Call Sports with 31-year Major League Baseball umpire veteran Dale Scott. And it's next. We welcome you to the plate meeting. It's T-Mac and it's Gil. And before we get to our special guest, Dale Scott, Gil, this space is for rent. This space. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, T. If you're looking to increase your market visibility, we are uh, looking to help you, whether it's a banner ad on CloseCallSports.com or possibly sponsoring this very podcast, which had over 8,000 views since on our last edition with Bob Davidson and counting. It's a great opportunity for somebody out there to uh, to sponsor uh, the podcast and uh, increase their market visibility, Gil. That's absolutely right. You know, this is uh, that we started this show as a little bit of a thought of talking a little bit of umpiring with umpires and it we got bob davidson on the site very fortuitous and uh thank you bob and he's sticking around with us and we love that and we put that episode out for you we asked your questions you had great questions for bob and you have some great questions coming up for dale as well and uh we yeah we we got I, I looked at the stats. It started off a few hundred, gets into a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four. The other day I checked it. We're up to eight thousand on that one, and uh, it's just a and beautiful. They said venture. it wouldn't last, Gil. They said it wouldn't last, and look where we are now, all the way in episode number two. So again, if you're looking to uh, to be part of the Close Call Sports family, send us an email. You can send that to Gil at CloseCallSports.com. That's G I L at CloseCallSports.com, whether it's a banner ad on the side, on top, or uh, sponsoring this podcast, or any ideas you may have, let us know at Gil at CloseCallSports.com. And uh, as we did in the last episode on the episode page, I'm going to put up those donate and uh, store buttons just uh, in case you have the itch to get some more gear for you, so a little base gear, undershirts, things like that that you can wear with our logo and uh, a little donate button as well. If you haven't already, check us out on Twitter at Umpire Ejections, as well as Facebook, also slash Umpire Ejections. Well, without further ado, our special guest on this edition of The Plate Meeting, along with uh, T-Mac and Gil, joining us, Dale Scott. Dale, thanks so much. Well, hello, guys, and uh, happy to be here. You know, following up uh, Bob Davidson, who's, quite reckless on my part but uh we'll see how it goes uh sp- speaking of uh of that we're going to start the, the, the this podcast much like we started the last one you started umpiring at 15 what drew you to it well you know i i was i loved baseball growing up uh grew up in eugene oregon uh they had a triple a team at the time it was the phillies the eugene emeralds uh my dad uh the, the company he worked for had uh, for box seats for every you know season tickets, and so often he would get the tickets uh, you know to take my brother and I. Uh, in fact, my my birthday is in August, so that was always my uh, wish for birthdays. Uh, if the M's were home, they go to go to a game on my birthday, and and if they're not, uh, you know, go close to my birthday. But uh, 
so I enjoyed baseball growing up and, uh, you know, I, I, I attempted to play, <laughs> I, I played up through, uh, up through eighth grade at the time, uh, the high school I went to in Eugene, uh, Sheldon was a four year high or excuse me, a three year high school. So as I was entering 10th grade, uh, and, and in high school, they either had varsity or JV, and, and I knew I wasn't going to make either of those teams. But, you know, the problem, guys, was me playing baseball. I, I had a lot of passion and love for the game. I just couldn't run, field, throw, or, you know, uh, hit. And uh, apparently those are somewhat important things to do if you're going to be a player. So that uh, led me to uh, my sophomore year in, in high school when I was 15, and, and uh, a friend of mine who was a year older in the summer before had umpired in uh, you know little league and that kind of stuff in Eugene and he uh, suggested I, I I try umpiring it was a way to make some money and and still stay involved in the game and so uh you know I observed I observed the umpires a lot when I was playing because quite frankly I was on the bench a lot so I had time to do that and 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 I you know I I kind of enjoyed the different personalities whatever else when I would watch on, on television the same thing so I, I it did interest me a little bit I thought it'd be kind of fun and and that's how I got started. And I just, uh, once I got started, I, I just had a passion for it. I just loved it and, and uh, you know, continued on from there. So what took you to umpire school? What preceded uh, that process? Take me through what you were thinking and how you got there. Well, uh, this uh, another uh, guy that was in the association that was a few years older than me, he had gone to umpire school uh, in 1975, I believe, and that was the same year that I started umpiring. Well, in about 1977 or so, he, uh, we worked quite a few years together, and he said, uh, you know, you should think about going to umpire school. He, he never got a job out of it, but he loved uh, the experience and, you know, the fact that he just learned so much about, about umpiring. <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah, and that's what he told me. He said, you know, it, it, even if you don't get a job out of it, there's this learned so much about the intricacies of this uh, profession and uh you know and he said you know you've got you've got some talent you know i think you would enjoy umpire school and then you'll come back in and then uh, at that time uh oregon still had a program of course they dropped it a couple of years after that and, and then picked it up uh, later but yeah i could you know i could start working some college stuff and, and some small college which i was doing a little bit already but it was more just to uh do it so i was going to go and uh I went to the uh, San Bernardino schools. Uh, Bill Kinnaman had a, had a school in San Bernardino, California, and, and as well as Florida. And then, of course, Winston had his school in Florida. So there were three schools uh, under two owners. I was going to go in 1980, but I was still 20 years old at the, at the time of school. And uh, school, because they had two schools, uh, the, the California school started the day after Christmas. Oh, boy. So I thought, I don't know if I want to go to umpire school and be down there for uh, New Year's Eve and not be able to drink legally. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, de- I, delayed it, I delayed it a year, which is pretty pathetic, but that's what I did. Uh, <laughs> so I went the next year in 1980. It was actually uh, the day after Christmas, 1980, but the class of 81. Right. And, uh, and uh, there was only 27 students in, in San Bernardino. Uh, the top five went to the advanced school in uh, Brady's in Florida, and I finished fifth. So you just barely make the cut, and then you go to – for the advanced school, and, and from there, do you make it into minor league baseball right away? Or are you on the reserve list? How did that take place? Well, I, uh, the, the, uh, the advanced school, the top 13, uh, we're going to get uh, uh, definitely get spring training assignments. 
more would get them, but the top 13 were guaranteed. I shouldn't say more would get them. Those are the only spring training assignments available were 13 of them at the time. Sure. But, of course, there were more the more guys than that got jobs. But uh, what was funny about, uh, about Bradenton is the last day of that week, uh, they were, were all on the field, and they kept calling uh, certain guys back to the cages to, to do uh, balls and strikes. Some guys were called once or twice. Some guys were called four, five, six times during the during the course of the day. Hmm. They didn't call me once, so I, I I pretty much knew I was either in or I was out. I mean, that was pretty <laughs> much. Uh, I wasn't sure which, but uh, but I you know I and I thought I had had a pretty good week, but I you know there's some good umpires and good, you know the top of uh, all three schools, and I and I thought I may be completely on the outside looking in, but. Uh, the next day when they uh, we went in and, and we found out where we ended up, they didn't tell us the ranking 1 through 13. I just knew I was in the top 13 because I got a spring training season for Padres in uh, Yuma, Arizona. What a garden spot of America, Yuma, Arizona. Yes. It was a pretty uh, brief minor league stint for you beginning in 1981, and, and uh, BB fan uh, leads us to our first uh, user question. Did you have any mentors uh, making your way through the minor leagues? I, I was lucky. First of all, to only spend five years in the minor leagues. Um, it was a little bit different setup back then. Uh, at that time, Double A was still only two man, so where, where it's now three man. So there, you know, there were less umpires in the system. But uh, I was fortunate to. Uh, for, well, as far as mentors, as far as a supervisor, Dick Nelson. Dick Nelson uh, was a minor league supervisor. Who really helped me out? Uh, the, the you know the few times you would only see it twice a year during the season because he had such a huge uh, amount of uh, territory to cover. He basically was doing all the minor leagues uh, west of the Mississippi. It's so much different now. They have you know many more supervisors and guys uh, you know getting watched more. But and also you know games. I was just watching the other day here in uh, Portland outside of Portland is Hillsborough uh, in the Northwest League and. And they're on television all the time. And I can't imagine having a game on TV when I was in, in the Northwest League. But, but Dick Nelson helped me a lot. My second year in the California League, when I, when I, I didn't start uh, there, I was going to go back to the Northwest League. But in May, there was movement, and they called me up. I worked with Tim Cheetah, who I had also gone to Bradenton with. And, and he had gone to Empire School the, the same year I did. And uh, Tim was uh, you know, a phenomenal umpire. And I learned a lot from him, quite frankly. It, it was great when I worked with Tim. We led we led the Cal League that year at ejection. Uh, he had uh, that's pretty I don't good. Know, Eighteen. I didn't get there till May, and I had like uh, you know twelve. And uh, the rest of the league, I think the next highest was like ten or something. And on that, I mean, it, it it was just uh, it seemed like we were just dumping guys right and left. <laughs> uh, but I, when Tim would get an argument, it was great because I would always mosey on over the, not, even if it wasn't something violent where he needed some help, I just go to cover because I wanted to hear what he had to say. He always had the best one-liners and, uh, you know, just quick, quick on the uh, quick wit and, and, and quick with uh, some kind of comeback. So I, I, uh, that actually helped me in the long run also, but, uh, yeah, I went to Tina in the Cali, uh, him and I, and, uh, that year went to instructional aid. The next year I started in Texas league and I went to instructional aid, uh, after the Texas league. And those two instructional leagues, especially the first one, but both of them, I learned so much, grew so much as an umpire. Uh, when you had that, there was only eight umpires in the instruction league in, in Phoenix. Dick Nelson was there, so he, it was much more one-on-one. 
I, you know, uh, for uh, I think it was like six weeks. So it was it was really a, 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 a part of my career where I really grew as an umpire and learned, learned so much. Uh, then in '84, I started the Texas League. Got called up to the uh, AAA American Association in May. Uh, finished the uh, association with the uh, playoffs uh, in the association that year. Went to uh, winter ball in the Dominican. Uh, again, with Cheetah was with me. And when I was called up to AAA, Cheetah and Larry Young was the chief, and uh, Cheetah and a, and a gentleman named Matt Fairchild. So uh, that was in 84, 85. I worked, then I went to winter ball. 85, I worked the entire uh, American Association and got my first game ever in the American League in August of that year. Just one game in Kansas City. I uh, went to uh, the Dominican again in 85, and, and, and also in 85, that was my first American League spring training. Uh, and in 86, there were two openings uh, on the American League staff, and Tim Cheetah and I got him. So it, it, I was 26, he was 25 when we got our contract. So it was uh, it was a pretty quick rise. I was lucky, you know, I was lucky. I got I was seen at the right time. Uh, and, uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Now, one drawback to that guy, you know, guys now that get uh, uh, big league contracts, I mean, they, you know, they, they've worked two, three, four, five, six hundred games or something that uh, up and down for, for many seasons. I worked one game. I worked one game in the big leagues before I got hired, which is fabulous and sounds great. But I'll tell you what, I, I really struggled my first couple of years because I was learning how to open the big leagues uh, and then getting that taste and then down a little bit and relax and then go back up. And, you know, it was, it was just, here you go. So I was very fortunate to get there in that position. I'm certainly not complaining, but it, it, it definitely uh, had its uh, downside a little bit because uh, it was a tough couple of years. Now, we mentioned, you just mentioned the first game you worked in the big leagues, August 19th, 1985, in Kansas City. They hosted the Detroit Tigers, and you got a little uh, extra experience because the game went 10 innings. So, you know, yeah. you yeah. had that going for you, working third. Uh, well, you know, I had I had two calls. I had a check swing on George Brett, and I said he went. I don't think he was real happy. And then I, uh, I, I believe the, the uh, what ended up being the winning rally in the 10th, I could be wrong on that, but it was a fair foul down down the left field line, and that, and that was it. What's funny about that is I uh, I go into you know it's only just one game, uh, and you'll be back down, which was fine. I was thrilled, obviously. And I, uh, we break from the uh, plate beating, and I go down to third, and, and George Brett is is playing third, and I'm kind of looking around the stadium. You know, Kansas City is a beautiful ballpark, you know, even even though it's one of the other ones, quite frankly, uh, when you look at all of them, but. Uh, and I remember George goes, uh, hey, Dale. I go, I'm doing George. And he goes, uh, your first game? And I look down to my crotch like, do I have a wet spot? <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did you know? And he, he, he just laughs. He goes, oh, well, I just haven't seen you around. So it was, uh, it was quite a thrill for me, for, for sure. And, and a good memory. A Steve Balboni double down the left field line in the Royals' 10th led to the, uh, the, winning, the yeah. winning run. There you go. We, we move on. Uh, to you'd mentioned getting the job in the American League, but uh, I want to talk to you a second about postseason and your first first postseason assignment. As meteoric as of a rise that it was for you getting to the big leagues, it was also meteoric in getting to your World Series in 1995. You worked your first ALDS. How did you find out that you were getting your first postseason? In '95, I worked uh, on Jim McKean's crew. We were actually in Yankee Stadium uh, until. Uh, the 
in the contract uh, said that the uh, postseason assignments for, for both leagues, the, at that time just the league championship series and then the World Series, uh, those assignments had to be out no later than September 10th. And so uh, we were in New York in September, and uh, McKean got a, it was a day, we had a day game. And McKean, uh, the, you know, picked up, there was a call there in the locker room. McKean uh, took the call, and, and I could hear him. He, he, he was looking around. He was pointing. I think uh, I was with, uh, trying to remember now, Voltaggio. And uh, I want to say Dan Morris, but that could be wrong. But, it, but either way, uh, he just kind of looked around the room. He, he pointed at Vic. He goes, well, you get to go home. And he's still on the phone. And then he pointed to me, and he said, uh, not so fast, you, uh, Junior. And, uh, you know, so I knew I had something. You know, something was happening. And as it turned out, and then back then in uh, in '95 we had the uh, divisional series, and it was uh, Marty Springstead, American League supervisor, had the idea of the crew working. You know, the the one division series, division series A, would work uh, games one and two, and then switch with uh, the uh, crew B that had the other series and work uh, three, four, and five. You know, and the other crew would work. Uh, there, so we we opened in New York. We have Seattle and New York for two games, and then we went to Boston. Uh, they were playing the Indians for what ended up just being one game, but uh, up to up to three more. The uh, other crew that opened in Cleveland with Boston, they went to Seattle, and uh, they ended up going you know full five and, and dramatic uh, <clears throat> win for the Mariners there. But uh, I was you know thrilled, nervous, excited, uh, you know, combination of all that stuff when I found out. And speaking of dramatic, nowadays when umpires get their first postseason assignment, they work a wild card game on one of the lines, then they'll work maybe a divisional series on one of the lines. Your second game was behind the plate in a 15-inning affair between the Yankees and Seattle on October 4, 1995. Take me through the nerves, what you were thinking, how you stayed calm during uh, during that game. Well, that's under the assumption I did stay calm. Um, you know, it was it – was, uh, you know, going into that, I mean, you know, anytime the Yankee, you know, working in New York is always uh, just, you know, different <laughs> because it's just, uh, you know, so much the legal office is there. They always have people there, you know, just that kind of thing. But, you know, I was trying to convince myself. And, and, and again, when we found out our assignments, it was a good three weeks before, before you know, the, the postseason. So you have a long time to think about this. And, uh, I mean, what teams specifically would be working in? You know, we just knew we were working the, the divisionals. But uh, I, yeah, I was, you know, I was pretty much a, a nervous wreck. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the first game, I was at first base, and, and uh, you know, just tried to try to stay calm, but knowing the next day I'll be strapping on. It was very strange. You know, one of the things I remember vividly uh, that game is. Uh, you know, like every time you have the play, you do your ground rule media, and then the, the coaches or managers go back to the dugout and, and you're there with your three partners, and then they take off and and you're you know you're there. It's it's your game. And now we have you know I have five partners, six of us total, and I remember uh, you know the whole build up to we finally do the lineups, and now you know good game, Scotty, let's go. And they all take off, and I'm standing there, Yankee Stadium, home plate, before the teams have come out. Um, or maybe not before they came out. Maybe we'd already done the national anthem. But the point is, your whole crew leaves you, and you're going, "Well, Scotty, this is it, buddy. <laughs> you are, 
you always had that cocoon of your partners and the veteran guys next to you. Well, guess what? Now it's your turn. It's just it's, it's time to turn it on. And, and, and it was a long, long game. We didn't start. I think first pitch was around 8.20 or something. And we walked off the field and won something. It was five hours and 12 minutes or 13 minutes. Uh, it was starting to rain in, in the 15th inning when uh, when Leyritz hit the home run, the walk off. It was starting to come down pretty good. As it as as it turned out, it started just pouring, and it rained for about a day and a half. Of course, the next day was an off day going to Boston. But if we hadn't finished that game at that time, if it had kept going, uh, and we had finally, you know, if we we had had to take the teams off the field, <laughs> we we. We, I don't know when we were going to finish that game. So we, we were we were lucky that he hit it out. And, and I know it's not, I know it's not, uh, you know, what you're supposed to do. But I, I couldn't, you know, I think I high fived it when he crossed the players. So <laughs> happy to get off that field. Continuing your tradition of uh, extra inning games, your first American League championships championship series game is one of the most famous of all time. It, you're umpiring mm-hmm. first base, and it's the Jeffrey Mayer reaching over the potential fan interference, no call game uh, in the uh, – trying to remember what inning that was. but uh, And the, again, that game goes 11 innings. You're joined on the field in that game by Larry Barnett, Mike Riley, Dan Morris, and Rocky Rowe, and, of course, Richie Garcia in right field. Uh, this is uh, one of the video questions that we sent, and uh, Mark asks – what was just being on the field during during that chaotic scene like? And we'll show the video. We had a pitcher uh, all the way in right field in the right field corner. What an odd experience that must have been. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it was just. I mean, I, now there's a there's an example of a play nowadays that we can go to replay and and have a much better shot of of getting that thing. Uh, you know, Richie thoroughly thought he had that play right until he saw it after the game and, and saw that uh, how, how far that the mayor had, had reached out. You know, he was going uh, you know, toward the wall. The ball obviously is carrying toward the wall. And his angle wasn't uh, perfect. You know, he wasn't right on the wall. We could see uh, how far the, the glove was over and, and that kind of thing. And from his angle, it looked at, and, and then you'll see on the video too, the mayor kind of hits the heel of his glove and the ball, uh, it goes, you know, goes over the wall. And from Richie's angle, he, he, it looked like to him that first of all, the Bears' uh, glove wasn't as far out as it was. And then when he saw that kind of a glimpse of the ball before it disappeared, uh, it looked like to him that it was either hit the top of the wall or it hit. You know, he wasn't quite sure, but it just looked like it was out. You know, it wasn't. And so, of course, Richie has the home run, and, and there's. So it was a home run, and, and that's what he called. I, I'll be honest with you, from first base, I wasn't 100 percent sure one way or the other just the angle i was looking at that but uh you know it was mm-hmm. uh it was i felt bad for richie i you know right or wrong i felt bad for richie just because of the the controversy that was going on and, and of course like i said we, we didn't officially see that we were wrong until we saw the video afterwards but we knew we had a pretty good right. idea because richie called me uh, over between innings like uh, half an inning later and he goes uh, right where we're, where we at Old Yankee Stadium, where we would walk down to our uh, locker room down the tunnel, which was on the first base side of the uh, of the Yankee dugout. <clears throat> That's where the box seats of where uh, the, the league president Gene Gudig and and uh, uh, Bobby Springstad and all the league officials would sit right there, right on the railing. And Richie calls me over between innings about a 
uh, inning later, half an inning later. And I look over, and, and all the seats were empty. <laughs> oh, boy. So, I said, no, where are they? He goes, I'll tell you where they are. They're in our locker room. Try to help. He goes, that's not, he goes, that's not a good sign. If they're not there, that means uh, uh, there's a good shot that uh, they're doing some damage control. And that was the, just for the record, that was the uh, bottom of the eighth inning of that game. So two years so after the, you so, were so just to follow up on that, the next day I get to play my first uh, LCS game. Now, you got to remember, too, uh, right before the postseason started was the uh, Robbie Alomar situation with John Hirschbeck in Toronto. Oh, boy. When Alomar, Alomar was with the Orioles, and he uh, spit on John. And, and uh, you know, that was a big – that was right toward almost the last game of the season. We are very close to it. Um, and so – you know, the young people made a statement about Alomar, and, you know, and, and we wanted to send it to the playoffs. Or, you know, of course, that they were going to do that. And, and, but it, it just added extra layers of stuff, you know, that we had to deal with. Well, then we have this play that goes against the Orioles. So, yeah, first. Wow, that was the context uh, going into that series. I have the plate the next day, uh, and, it, you know, again, my second – postseason play game it's my first lcs and it's actually the only game the orioles won of that series um but it, there was a lot <laughs> there was a lot going on uh going into that and uh it was uh you know it's just it's hard to describe especially when, when, when you're when you're new to the postseason it's just the first few times out just the the uh the the pressure that the 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 atmosphere that's going on, uh, it's, it's, it's so intense, it's so uh, consuming, all-consuming. And, uh, you know, you just – I keep telling myself, uh, you, you know, like the year before when I was working on the first division, I keep telling myself, you know what, they are, you know, when it all comes down to it, it's just baseball. It's what you've been doing since you were 15. They've got to pitch the ball, they've got to hit the ball, they've got to field the ball. And, and even though you have all the trappings of everything that's going on and all the hoopla, once uh, you say play ball, it's a baseball game. So treat it like that uh, because that's what you know and that's what you've been doing and that's what you got you know, got you there. So that, that was a little mind game I was trying to play with myself. <laughs> so the following year, whoa. I got feedback again. <laughs> we can, we can uh, edit. Tell you what I'll do. I'll make a quick edit. We'll be right back. As we continue here with uh, Dale Scott, your first World Series, you know, there's legendary, you hear, get phone calls, you hear about it from a partner or somebody calls you, one of your partners, but this had to be a thrill for you for a number of reasons. You get to work with Rich Garcia, Mark Hirschbeck, Dana DeMuth, Jerry Crawford, and your old pal, Tim. Tim Cheetah is on your crew. How cool was it to uh, get to work with him and how did you find out you made it to the World Series? So, uh, yeah, I, I got a, uh, you know, that, that was back in 98 where uh, they would have to let us know by September 10th about any postseason. So I was in Toronto, as a matter of fact, and I was um, the crew chief because my entire crew that I was on that year was gone. Uh, I was with um, uh, Bill Miller, Ted Barrett, and, uh, and Eric Cooper, which in 1998 were, you know, three pretty young umpires. And, and, uh, and I was uh, I was chief, and so I got the call Saturday night. I've got the uh, a divisional series, and I've got the World Series. And of course, you know you're you're excited. You 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 know it's a it's a dream come true. And 
And uh, the next day, uh, I've got Boston at Toronto. It's a day game. I, I, I uh, work in the plate, and I end up uh, I, I end up throwing out all uh, three guys. I threw out the, both managers and a relief pitcher. And the next day, Marty Springstead called me. and goes, hey, Scotty, Scotty, uh, you do understand that I said you got the World Series, right? <laughs> <laughs> said, yeah he goes what the hell's going on in toronto so i you know i explained it but it was it was uh it was a, a thrill and, and and it opened in in new york again the yankees again uh against the padres and and i was with rich garcia who was a mentor of mine and i'd worked with uh, you know that's the person i'd worked with the most at that point in my career and uh and of course tim cheetah was on the crew uh, i'd known dana since my first year in the northwest league and and uh you know, and, and I had known Mark pretty well. I was in the Dominican Republic uh, with him, one of the winter balls I was in. So, you know, it was a, it was a good crew. I didn't know Jerry that well, but I, I knew him. You know, I, I was just very excited and very happy to be a part of that. And and uh, I'll never forget when after that first game, uh, we break up for the ground rules and everything. We run out and Gina and I were were, were uh, kind of out behind second base as they were warming up. And I, you know, he looked at me, I looked at him and I said, what? You know, he goes, can you believe this? Can you believe we're doing this? We're here we are at Yankee Stadium about to start the World Series. And I said, ah, I'll be honest with you. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not sure if I can believe it, but it's happening. So let's go. So it, it was it was really quite a thrill for me. And, and the amazing part, you know, we're just going through some things here. You saw the Yankees. And I know the split series at the divisional divisional round. I believe for your first, was it seven postseasons? uh series you had the yankees in each one of them that's just did you get sick of seeing them well they probably got more sick of seeing me frankly um but <laughs> you know it, it, as far as that goes though they they uh they the, the 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 two games i had them in my first divisional they won both games although they lost that series uh in the lcs even though my plate game was the only loss they had they won that series the uh world series in 98 they swept the padres um in uh, uh 99 they played the red sox uh in the lcs and i had that series which you know i had an ejection in that <laughs> course um <laughs> and uh, uh they and they won that series and went on to the world series and uh the first time that they had basically a, a series that I, a playoff series that i worked with them and they didn't win was 2001 when they lost to the diamondbacks in in seven games so we, we, we've got to bring up this one ejection that it has to be a fascinating story because Tom Kelly was uh, was run five times in 2,400 games. And if you had the Tom Kelly, Dale Scott, exacta, uh, you you won in 1998. Can you take me through that story of how Tom Kelly uh, was ejected? Yeah, I, I, rem- uh, I remember it well. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, Tom Kelly, just uh, before I go into the story, is – he was if every manager was like Tom Kelly, uh, this would be a lot easier job. I mean, he you know, he 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 knew how to argue. He knew when he had to be there. He knew you know what he had to do as a manager. But he he was always very fair. You know, as umpires, all we ask is just be fair. And that's all. I mean, are you are you yelling at me because you really think that I made a mistake or are you yelling at me because of the situation or because, you know, you don't like me or whatever? I mean, if, if it's something that. You, uh, that you're being, uh, you know, of course, they usually aren't. But if it's something that you're being objectionable about and, and being fair, that's one thing. If it's just to just yell, whatever. So Tom, 
was was very fair. He one time in one time in Toronto, uh, uh, I was working the plate and, and, a, and a pitch. He was on defense. Uh, a pitch came in. It was in the dirt, and the and the and the Blue Jay uh, uh, checked his swing. I said he didn't swing, and and Kelly goes, "Well, didn't he didn't he tip it? Didn't he tip it?" I go, "No, I, I oh, Tom, I, I didn't hear any tip." And he goes, "Ah, it doesn't matter. What the hell is a stupid pitch anyway?" You know. <laughs> <It's> like, <okay. laughs> uh, but uh, I, the ejection I had was in the in the uh, Metrodome. Uh, the Mariners uh, were there, and there was a two-two pitch on Ken Griffey, I believe. I could have the ending wrong, but I believe it was like the top of the eighth, maybe. It was late in the game. And a couple runners on, I believe. Anyway, the 2-2 pitch I balled. It was outside. The pitcher wanted it. They wanted a strike three. Um, uh, I think Kelly, I, I'm sure it looked great for the dugout because he never moved his glove, but it was off the, off the plate. Um, and Kelly, I'm sure, was going off his uh, pitcher's reaction a little bit. Anyway, so I call ball three. You know, as luck would have it, the next pitch, he hits it about 700 feet. And uh, and they, they they either broke the tie or went up by a couple with a three run home run. I had ejected the pitcher uh, almost about the time that uh, Griffey was rounding first. Eddie Guardado. Yes, yeah, yeah. He he went really. I mean, the ball was hit, and I think I was getting my mask off and ejecting him at the same time. <laughs> um, and 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 then uh, you know, and then here comes Kelly screaming. Of course, you know, balls and strikes, and I and I dumped him, and that was my Tom Kelly ejection, and. Uh, thankfully, uh, of course, this was before uh, uh, pitch tracking and all that. But thankfully, after the game, when I looked at the pitch, it, it was definitely outside, even even by our strike zones at that time. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, but that was my Kelly ejection. But he was great. You know, I have a, a, a Tom Kelly story. I was uh, working the plate. It was way. I don't remember what year it was, but it was uh, Oakland. We were at Oakland. It was a Monday night game. Monday night baseball. ABC used to have Monday night baseball, and. Uh, that you know the A's and the Twins were in the same division at that time, and and both had real good ball clubs, and they were battling it out. And anyway, I I had the plate. It was a tie game uh, in the uh, top of the eighth inning. Runner at uh, runners at first and second, nobody out. And uh, the Twins are at bat. Uh, Steve Lamberdozzi puts down a beautiful sacrifice bunt, and it's the perfect bunt. Their only play is to first base. Unfortunately for Lamberdozzi, he wasn't exactly in the running lane, so. Uh, catcher throws down and 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 it, it goes off his shoulder but he's he's clearly out of the lane so i call interference and of course uh, he's out and the and the runners are going back so uh, lamberdozzi argued a little bit here comes kelly flying out of the dugout and, and even though it was uh mild mattered quote unquote tom kelly i i figured i had i was gonna have a pretty good argument because of the situation that was in taking uh two runners off, out of scoring position in a tie game in the eighth inning uh, and he comes out and he gets Lamberdozzi away and, and Lamberdozzi takes off back for the dugout and he go and, he, and 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 Kelly's being very animated. He's he's throwing his arms up and he goes he goes I can't believe this I cannot believe this we have guys at first and second nobody out he puts down a perfect sacrifice bunt a perfect bunt I'm telling you and what does he do he can't run in the running lane can you <laughs> believe this and now you make a great call well, now at this point I start laughing sure and. He immediately gets his finger in my face. He goes, you can't laugh. You can't laugh. We're on camera. We're on camera. <laughs> he proceeds to tell me about now we got to have the runners go back. And now we have one out instead of scoring position. And it's all because my guy doesn't know what a line is and what to run inside. And I can't believe it. And it was a great call. And he's, and he's hitting his head and, and throwing his fingers. And then he just takes off and runs back to the dugout. And how, well, how rare is that for a, for a manager to come out and tell you? Tell you made a great call. Yeah, first of all, it's pretty rare. Um, I, I, 
in in the big leagues, I can I can tell you one other story very similar to that, almost identical is with uh, Terry Collins uh, when he was in Anaheim. But uh, sure. what was funny about this one was, um, you know, the whole time when he was yelling at me and uh, he was throwing his arms. I mean, it looked like he was just eating me, uh, you know, <laughs> pretty good. And so after the game, uh, we go in and, you know, my partners, they go, I go, what did he say? Why, why didn't you run him? I said, you, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, you know, and I was trying not to laugh the whole time. And, and, and he was the only reason he was out there was to get Lambert Dozy out of there. Uh, and because he, you know, he knew the, the call. That doesn't mean anything. A lot of times the call is right and they, they still go goofy. But but Tom is Tom was very fair. The, the time with Terry Collins was in, in Anaheim. Uh, uh, they were up like 10 nothing after three innings against Toronto. Uh, I was at second base. Uh, now it's about the sixth inning and it's like 10 to eight. And so there was a, uh, a fly ball uh, out. Uh, there was a question of uh, spectator interference or not out in right center field, nobody on. So I, I went out on the ball and uh, I believe uh, it was the angels hitting. And I had the, the ball went out of the, uh, out of the park or, Anyway, I call spectator interference, and we, we put the batter at second base. And so here comes Terry running out. And I had Terry in, in, in uh, the Dominican Republic, and, and Terry's a pretty good guy. He's, he's like Tom Kelly. I mean, he can get fiery, and he can go, and he, he has his moments, but he's, uh, uh, he's you know, he, he's not a, you know, there's a lot, a lot worse guys than Terry Collins, trust me, as far as uh, dealing with umpires. But anyway, and, and as a little side note, Terry Collins and Rocky Rowe were roommates in college, so uh there was that uh oh wow dynamic but uh, anyway so terry comes running down and and now our argument is is taking place in shallow center field you know because i was coming back in and i'm thinking once again you know it, it, he's at home it's a pretty good crowd he's probably going to uh hit me up pretty good and he comes out and he goes i can't believe i go i go i go terry he reached below the fence line he goes he goes i don't give a shit he goes i can't believe how horrible we are we're terrible <laughs> And I said, what's that? He goes, we have a 10 nothing lead. It's now 10 to 8. I mean, we suck. And I go, I go, well, I don't know what to tell you. He goes, well, I'll tell you what you tell you. You're going to have to run me. You're going to have to freaking run me. Now, you got to understand there's nobody around us. So, and, and, and again, he's being very animated. And I said, well, Terry, if you want to get run, you better do something. He goes, well, if you want me to do something, I'll do something. He grabs his hat and he chucks it as far as he can go, you know. And uh, so I, I ejected. And he goes, I'm going to tell you what, Scotty. I'm going to tell you one thing before I leave. I feel sorry for you because you got to stay out here and watch this shit and off he went. <laughs> so I, that was the, that was the only time in the big leagues really where I had a manager and he, he did get ejected, but I had a manager that uh, put on quite a show, but really wasn't uh, saying what, what it looked like he was saying, quite frankly. Speaking of managers that were tough to deal, let's get to some of the video plays that, uh, that we sent you, Dale. And uh, one of them, let's start out with this Billy Martin ejection. This was the last ejection of Billy Martin in his career. It was also in Oakland, a place that we uh, were getting familiar with, and it involved a line drive. Uh, Rick Reed was the primary umpire behind the play. And uh, take me through the play. Uh, several player, Several of our users asked about it. And uh, this is in 1987, I believe. It was uh, Memorial Day, 1988. It was uh, it was my third year, and uh, once again, Monday Night Baseball, uh, Memorial Day on ABC, and and it was a like a five o'clock start on the West Coast. 
Well, they had, uh, they had, you know, watered down the infield before the game started just to keep the dust down or whatever. So sure. we're in the uh, bottom of the third inning, no score. Uh, Walt Weiss uh, is leading off for the A's. I'm at first, Rick's at second. Uh, Hirschbeck, uh, John is at third, and, and, and Garcia's got the plate. It's a, it's, a, it's a line drive, you know, kind of dying quail toward Meacham at second base. And he, the question was, did he, did he, did he catch it or did it, did it one hop into his, uh, into his glove? Now, uh, from my angle at first base, it, it, it looked like it skipped to me. Um, Rick immediately came up uh, with, with no catch. Meacham, uh, you know, I mean, quite frankly, even if he thought we were wrong, if he would have, what he did is he just cut the ball and, and then just immediately just started throwing around the horn. He didn't even look for a signal or anything, which, you know, <laughs> says he's probably pretty confident it was, it was caught. But either way, if he had just taken a glance to Rick, even if Rick was 100% wrong, he would have had Weiss out by, you know, 20 feet uh, because, uh, you know, it would have been an easy out. But anyway, he just threw it around the horn. And, and so now Weiss is at second, or excuse me, at first uh, with a, a base hit. So uh, I guess it's a base hit or <laughs> he didn't, he didn't make an error, but anyway, the point is um, uh, here comes Billy Martin flying out of the dugout and his, you know, it's the first base dugout. So as he comes by me going toward Rick, he said, uh, you saw him catch the ball. And as he's running by, I said, no, Billy, he trapped it. And if, you know, again, we didn't get together, but if, 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 uh, uh, if he had come to me, I, I didn't have a definite catch. I, 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 I was going to go with what he had because I didn't hundred percent see it the other way. So, uh, uh, you know, he's arguing with Rick and, and, and Garcia came up and, and, and he was all fired up. And, you know, Gar uh, Billy Martin, just like uh, Sparky Anderson, just like uh, uh, a lot of managers, frankly, uh, they have a tendency to pick on the younger guy on the crew, um, you know, just because uh, they want to see how you're going to react and, and those types of things. But he's talking, he's talking to, uh, he's arguing with, with, with Rick. Richie's there. All of a sudden, he just—I'm just, just kind of on the peripheral. He come, he looks over at me. He goes, "You saw him catch the ball," and I said, "No, Billy, he trapped it." And he goes, "You're full of shit." Well, you know, I'm I'm not, and you're rejected. Um, so uh, immediately he starts to try to kick dirt, uh, but it's still damp from when they watered it down. So he he, he, he twice he kicked and, and he couldn't get any dirt. So then he just bent over and picked it up and threw it on my chest. But the first time he kicked dirt, he just barely nicked my 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 shin or my knee uh, with his foot and so you can see on the video i'm pointing down uh, as, as he's after he throws i'm saying you you kicked me billy you just kicked me you kicked me you know and now he's saying no i didn't no i didn't and yes you did and you know you're full of shit and fuck you but so i'm sorry uh this is an r-rated podcast um and uh so uh you know he finally eventually left and he was actually um uh fired well, he was suspended. Uh, he had had a run in with Tim Welke like just a few days before that. Uh, then my incident there in Oakland, uh, he was suspended for three days after, you know, the, the next week or whatever. Uh, he came back to the bench. He worked another week and a half or something. I'm not sure the timeline, but then Steinbrenner fired him and he never managed again. So I was the last umpire to ever eject Billy Martin. And it was on that play. Now in the video we sent, uh, he threatened a lawsuit against Major League Baseball. Did that ever uh, uh, take place, um, to your knowledge? Well, uh, part of that was the union and Richie uh, Richie Phillips. Um, uh, we because of the incident that he had with Welke the the week before 
uh, I believe there was contact and I, I don't remember the details, but I remember it was it was more than your than your uh, standard ejection. Then then the situation they had with me. And so we were pushing as a union for a longer suspension um, and we didn't get that. And uh, I don't again, I'm not exactly sure the exact details. What I do remember is Richie Phillips said something to the fact, well, if if, uh, you know, because the league won't do their job, if Billy Martin walks on the field, uh, we'll, we're going to eject him, you know, for anything, a pitching change, a, you know, anything. Well, that, you know, isn't really what you're supposed to do. <laughs> but but it was a it was a threat by the union to, 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 to try to point out that we, we thought that he was getting away with a lot more than he should. Yeah. And that's, I think, why he th- uh, threatened uh, baseball or, or why mm-hmm. he, he was certainly a. Uh, uh, Maybe it was because of the suspension. That part, I to be honest with you, I don't remember. I do remember this, though. Unbeknownst to me, and of course, this is before internet and any of that stuff, uh, the league office got a death threat in the mail. Um, somebody wrote that if Dale Scott uh, comes to New York, he's leaving in a body bag. Wow. And, oh. um, so I, I was not aware of this, but the next time our crew was supposed to go to New York, they uh-huh. actually put me on a different crew and brought somebody else in. That's when I found, this was probably three weeks later or something. Uh, um, and that's when I found out. It's when, you know, I said, well, why, why are we doing this? And they said, well, actually we got a death threat and we just want this, your first trip back since that incident, we'd just rather you, uh, you know, you know, go somewhere else. Wow. And, uh, and I did, but that was the only uh, time they, they kept me out of there then. And, uh, you know, nothing obviously happened, but, uh, yeah, people uh, people get a little bit uh, fired up, and that uh, you know, I it would have been different, you know, with social media and stuff. Now uh, th- that could have been that could have been a whole different uh, type of scenario, but um, you know, it was it was uh, that game uh, ended up going like fourteen innings, and I remember we finally got in the locker room. We were we were just uh, you know beat, and. Uh, the couple of the, the press was waiting for us. And if, you know, we got in, we wanted to look at the video cause we hadn't seen it yet. And, 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 you know, talk amongst ourselves. Finally, we, we let the press in and Richie was doing the talking for me basically because uh, uh, as he often did with the, with the younger guy on the crew and, and, a, and a volatile ejection like that. Um, and one, somebody in the, in the press that was there in our room popped off uh, saying, well, you know, you can answer our questions a little bit, or I, he should be able to answer our questions instead of you. You know, it, it's been a long night and Richie, the, the press that this guy in the press that, and Richie just snapped. He goes, what'd you say a long night? I just busted my ass for 14 innings. These guys bust their ass and you're up there dr- drinking coffee and, and second guessing us. And I mean, he, him and John Hirschbeck uh, literally uh, chewed him out and made him, he was backing up as he was leaving the locker room and into the hallway. As <laughs> he, just berating this guy oh boy about uh and uh, I'll, I'll never forget uh you know that whole that whole situation but uh yeah i mean i, I somebody told me i was on the uh trivia you know the the, the uh board game uh the trivia question or i'm an answer uh, the last person to eject billy martin and, uh, and there's my name i haven't seen that i don't know if that's true but i've heard that you'd have to be a real fan of umpiring to uh yeah you would re- you really would i mean that's that's a tough question uh, you know, piggybacking off that for a second, because we could read your lips in that exchange, and, and SP Balls and Strikes uh, asked us, it seems like whenever you broke up an argument after an ejection, you always had your hand over your mouth. 
was that uh, for the lip readers out there or a habit that you didn't realize you were doing? Oh, no, I totally realized I was doing it. Um, uh, that particular video, uh, somebody said, we got you, we got you. Well, I, that was in context to the to him kicking me. I, I said, I saw, you kicked me, Billy. And he kept saying no. And I said, we got you. We got you, Billy. And uh, somebody had thought that it was possibly in context that I we were out to get him. And that wasn't the case. I was talking about the the uh, the contact with his with his foot and, and my leg. As far as putting the hand up, though, uh, I don't remember the specific situation, but I remember I was in some kind of an argument watching it on video and you could read my lips very easily uh, saying probably things I shouldn't say. And uh, and that just uh, from then on, I I just said, you know what, I'm not going to put myself in that position. So I always put my hand up. In 2001, <laughs> Dale, you became a, a crew chief. Now, a couple people have asked, is this something you apply for? Is this something that they just bestow upon you? Take me through the process of becoming a crew chief and, and how you found out. Well, I was working with Larry Young in 2001. And uh, at, right around the All-Star break, Jim McKeon blew out his knee. Uh, and uh, Jimmy Joyce was on his crew. And they had Jimmy uh, chiefing, uh, and I think Bill Miller, and I don't remember the, the other guy, but uh, <clears throat> from like, you know, middle of July until the end of August uh, for about a you know month and a half, uh, Jimmy was doing that. Well, McKean was, they thought coming back, uh, they then found out that he was, he was going to be lost for the season. And so, and, and as it turned out, I, I believe that was his last year. But uh, so as it turns out, they, they, instead of uh, Joyce being a temporary crew chief, they made the decision. Well, Marty Springstead told me the story. And of course he wasn't in, he wasn't uh, the boss then he was uh, just a supervisor, but he said, uh, uh, Ralph Nelson was in the office then, and uh, uh, Ralph was talking to Marty about, you know, uh, you know, crew chief and uh, McKean's out, looks like he's going to be out for the, for his career. And, and, uh, and, and Marty said, well, who, who's your next crew chief? And he said, well, I, I, you know, I think probably Dale Scott. And he said, well, put, put Scotty in there for September. Let him, let him run the crew for a month. Let, you know, let him get his feet wet. If, that, if that's the, the guy that you think you're going to put in next, let him do it now. You know? So I went over and, uh, and with Joyce and Miller and, uh, and, you know, you know, luckily, I mean, Jimmy Joyce and I are great friends and, and luckily there weren't egos involved because, because he had been chiefing for six weeks and all of a sudden I show up and I'm, I'm the chief, even though I have seniority over him, uh, uh, in the big leagues, I, you know, it, 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 that could have been awkward if it had been uh, some personalities that, that maybe didn't you know, get along as well. But, uh, you know, Jimmy and I are, are such good buddies that uh, it was, it was actually fun. We had a great time, but so then that was, I was, <laughs> I was told that I was uh, uh, the next crew chief and, and I'm going to start in September uh, with McKean's crew and, and, and go at it. All right, fine. Well, that, uh, that off season, early December, right, right. Uh, Actually, it was about mid-November. We get an email, and it said, uh, uh, "Anyone who would like to be considered for the crew chief opening, uh, email us at blah blah blah." Well, the only opening I knew was the McKean opening, which was I was already under the impression that I was told I wasn't under the impression. I was told that that was that was my my crew. I mean, I was the new crew chief. So I emailed back, and I kind of worded it like, "If you're talking about the." a new opening, uh, you know, disregard this email. If you're talking about the McKean opening, I guess I'm applying for a job that you already gave me. 
um, <laughs> which was a, a little little awkward. But I, uh, I ended up going to Boston. Uh, they had they had a Cheetah, uh, Merriweather, Cousins, myself. And it seems like there was one more, and I can't think right now, but to, to fly into Boston and interview for the crew chief job. And then they officially uh, uh, then gave me the crew chief job. So that's how that, but to answer your question, as far as, as far as uh, do you apply? Yes. Anytime there's a crew chief job opening, um, and I believe it's in the, I, I believe it's in our CBA. If there's a crew chief job opening, you put out a message, an email to every, you know, anyone can apply. Um, and then, uh, uh, whoever's interested in, in taking a crew chief job, they'll interview you or do whatever they they do to uh, you know pick out who who they're going to put in that position. Forty one years old and a crew chief in Major League Baseball. How cool is that? Uh, and p- piggybacking again, Ying Chen asks us: uh, For years, Dan Isoni and CB Buckner were on your crew. Did you select both of these guys to be on your crew year after year? If not, how does the crew selection process work? The crew selection process has uh, changed throughout the years. It used to be. The uh, crew chief would put down uh, uh, like uh, th- three names, or well, originally I think they, the crew chief would would request one name, and then they would try to hook that hook you up with that person. Then they uh, expanded it to three. Give us three names, and we'll try to hook you up. Now it's uh, uh, five. They want you to put down five names, and as a crew chief. Um, you want to, you know, you don't want to put down, uh, you know, four or two men, <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, obviously you're not going to, you're only going to get one, if any of, of the four you're going to put down or whatever. So, you know, I always try to, uh, put a, you know, one or two, two men, you know, a, a three, three and a four, just kind of space out a little bit. So I, uh, uh, you know, hopefully get at least one or two of the guys I asked for. As far as Danny, I, Sonia, Danny, Danny, uh, when he was going up and down, uh, joined my crew uh, for three, actually all four of us went on uh, our <clears throat> weeks off in, uh, consecutively. So he was with us for eight weeks, or excuse me, uh, four, four weeks for a month. Well, th- obviously three of those weeks, <clears throat> excuse me, three of those weeks, uh, I was working with him and we hit it off immediately. Uh, I had never met him before, uh, but we, we had, you know, our personalities jived, our, our politics jived, our, our, our uh, you know, uh, music. I mean, it was like, uh, uh, we just uh, we just hit it off, and not only is Danny an outstanding individual, and just a just a, a wonderful person, but he's an outstanding umpire and and uh, and a great partner. Uh, so I told him after that uh, that year, I said, "Listen, you know, if you get a job, you know, let me know because I I want you on on my crew. I'm going to do everything I can to get you." And, he, and so he did find out right after the new year that he was hired. And I, although we had already uh, put in our names, and we usually do that right around uh, the mid-December, um, I, uh, you know, I, I emailed at that time. Frank Pulley was was a supervisor and was doing the uh, putting the crews together. I emailed Frank and I said, "Listen, uh, actually, I called him. I think I said, listen, I know I, I've already put my names in or whatever, but I just heard Danny got uh, hired, and I would uh, definitely love to have him on my crew if, if possible." Well, as it turned out. I believe he went with uh, Charlie uh, that year, um, but uh, I got him the next year. And frankly, uh, Danny and I worked ten uh, seasons together—not not in a row, but we had ten uh, years together. We've worked—I've—I uh, uh, worked almost uh, four thousand games, and I think I worked with Danny uh, twelve hundred 
games together or something like that. It, uh, it was over a thousand, I know. Um, and it would have been more, except that uh, a few of the times when he was on my crew, they, they took him off to, to, to go chief or, or, or beef up a, a different crew. So uh, we missed some games there. But yeah, I loved working with them. And I would tell uh, Randy Marsh the last several years when I was picking the, uh, or sending my names in, I said, uh, you know, Danny, I, Sonia, I, I would send four other names, but I said, uh, uh, you know, Randy, if you give me Danny, uh, the other two, I could care less, you know, just give me whoever you want. Uh, but uh, if Danny and I can uh, work together and it worked it luckily uh, almost every year they did. So it was, uh, we had a lot of fun together. So uh, another, another question uh, that we got, and I'm trying to, I've got so many questions here trying to search it, but I'm going to, give credit in a second is, is how did the schedule get done? A lot of, of, of users are asking us, you know, how did, did you get to pick your schedule? Were there certain places that you could ask to be in more than others? You know, how does, uh, uh, how does the schedule work? Well, uh, it's, that's also evolved through the years, but now since really, uh, 2001 or so, uh, you know, we have at this point, we have 19 crews. So you have 19 crew chiefs. Uh, they send out, uh, 19 big spreadsheet, 19 uh, schedules, A through whatever it is, P or Q or whatever it is. Um, and it's the schedule for the entire year. It includes your, you know, built in are your weeks off, built in are replay weeks. If you have three weeks or two weeks or a couple crews that have two and a half weeks because of the all-star week. And the entire thing from, from opening day till the last day is, is, is there. Um, they always give the caveat, though, the last four weeks, basically the month of September, uh, is subject to change. Uh, uh, you know, if there's a situation where uh, a team's fighting for a, a playoff bid and, and a certain crew has had nothing but, you know, shit with them all year, they may switch crews just to uh, alleviate a, a potential problem. But um, so you have that. And so what, what I did as a crew chief and what most guys do, everybody has a little bit uh, – different thing they send it not not they send the uh, the schedules to everyone not just the chiefs so i would tell my crew uh, all right guys take a look uh you know let me know in a couple days what your top two or three schedules are the ones you like um you know one year uh, i had uh danny in atlanta i had lance barrett in dallas i had bob davidson in denver so i had every time zone covered with me on the west coast so you know i i i tried to bid on schedules that were west coast heavy because you know, that's where I live. Um, but I always was cognizant of where those guys live to. I mean, there's, there were times uh, throughout the years that there was a schedule that I really liked, but we didn't go to one of the cities my partner was in, uh, or we only, you know, and so I, I just tried to avoid that because it's just not fair. I would hate to have a, have a, have a schedule where I never got home, uh, during the season, but you lived in one of those towns, but, um, then you bid, they, what they would do is, uh, they would do bid by crew chief seniority. Um, which really blows Joe West's mind because Joe's got all that seniority, but he's, uh, he's behind Jerry Davis and myself and Dana. Um, and, and be, you know, before that, John Hirschbeck, and, and uh, he was always behind us in the bidding because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crew chief seniority. It's not overall seniority. So uh, we always uh, uh, laughed about that. But um, uh, so then you, uh, they, what they would do is they'll have three days of bidding. The, the first day uh, be a conference call with, with uh, Cruz, uh, you know, the first five picks. The next day would be the next five picks or six picks. And then the last day uh, would be the, the rest of the picks. Yeah, the first year I was crew chief, 2002. 
uh, I had no pick. I had the last schedule that was that was there. Uh, I was the last one as, as far as crew chief seniority. When I left the field last year, uh, the last couple of years, I was uh, third. I was behind uh, uh, Davis and Dana after John uh, left and Tim Welke left. So that's how you do it. You bet on it. Uh, I always looked at your weeks off. You obviously want your weeks off. Uh, you want three, if you can, three weeks after the All-Star break, not three weeks before because uh, you don't need them then. I always uh, bid on a three-week replay schedule because that's uh, three weeks that you're off the field. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was uh, always a nice, once that started a few years ago, that was always a nice thing. I always looked at, uh, you know, typically you have Sunday getaway games, but I was looking at midweek getaway games. Uh, you love day games. Um, you can go out and have a nice dinner if, it's, if you're not traveling or, you know, or, or whatever. It's just uh, you can almost have a, some semblance of a normal uh, a, a normal life uh, and not working every night or whatever. So I look at day games and specifically uh, getaway games, the weeks off, the, the replay weeks. And, of course, I would always count up uh, how many trips west versus uh, other places. And when I, when I say west, I mean Denver and Arizona and, and all the West Coast teams. You know, there's some crews. Uh, John Hirschbeck, when he was bidding, he, he hated going out west. He, he, he lives in... Uh, near Pittsburgh in Ohio, and uh, uh, he would always try to get, you know, and, and some of the schedules in a perfect world, they would be uh, in a perfect world. Every crew would go to every city the same amount of times. Well, that's just not going to happen. Uh, it's just impossible to do uh, with uh, everything that goes on. And, and uh, you know, that you have to think about in the schedule. So sometimes there would be schedules that are real East Coast heavy. I remember one year uh, there was one schedule that Hirschbeck took because uh, he loved it, but it was only 17 West Coast games. Uh, and I, I that year had a schedule that had 44 West Coast games, so that's a that's a huge difference, obviously. So, um, so everybody kind of has a schedule that they like more than others, but that's that's the criteria that you kind of look at, and then you do your bidding and and uh, and go from there. I uh, hope we answered your question, John H. RC 2004 and baseball follower and baseball follower would like to tell you, Dale, you are one of the best. Ump 19 uh, 9999 asks, uh, do you have any good Bob Davidson stories uh, that could sh- that you'd want to share? Um, PG rated or PG 13, possibly. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a Bob story. Um, you know, Bob had to go back to the minor leagues after the, the 99 debacle and all that stuff. Well, the year I, I believe it was the year that he was back in the big leagues. Um, he was with us, uh, Danny and I, and I want to say, I want to say Culpa, um, uh, he was with us for like two months not, not the entire year, but it was, it was two months and, you know, and, 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 you know, you know, God bless him and Hallian and, and, and Eddie Hickox to go through that. Uh, that's, you know, that's, uh, that'd be tough to do obviously after years of being in the big leagues and stuff. And he was thrilled to be back in the big leagues and, and, and I don't blame him at all, but I remember one time we were. We were in uh, Minnesota, and it was after a game, and we were we were in the elevator. Uh, we had gone out and had a couple beers, or seven, or something, and uh, uh, we we in the elevator uh, going back to our uh, respective floors, and we're in it, just the four of us in the elevator. And Bob goes out of you know typical Bob out of uh, nowhere. He goes, Dale, if I played on your team, would you do me? <laughs> And I said, Bob, if you played on my team, I would go to the other team. <laughs> and, and, and the timing couldn't have been perfect because the, it was his floor. The elevator floor opens, uh, the door opens, 
uh, I said, Bob, if you were on my team, I would go to the other team right when he was getting out of the elevator. And he laughed. We, I mean, we <laughs> laughed. My God, uh, just, uh, you know, fell over laughing. But Bob was never a dull moment with Mr. Davidson on the crew. There is, there is absolutely no doubt. Um, one time we, it was the same time, I believe, uh, when he was with us a couple months, we were in San Diego and there's a, uh, uh, one of those whiteboards or whatever, you know, where you can, you know, put something on there and then just, just wipe it off or whatever, uh, for, for messages in our, in our, in our locker room from the, from the clubhouse guy or whatever. Well, we're in there and Bob, you know, uh, you know, being Bob. Uh, before the game he's bored and so he, there was nothing on the board so he decided he was going to be an artist and he drew um a rather large uh male anatomy and uh so you know it's like <laughs> bob well, you know what what is going on in that mind of yours but whatever but he just gets done doing that and, and no time to you know ha 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 and, and then erase it well uh in walks knock on the door and in walks sandy alderson now, hmm. Sandy at this point had he wasn't our boss anymore. He was he was with the Mets and the Mets were in town, so he was just stopping by to say hello. And he walked, <laughs> and we didn't you know we didn't know he was coming. He walks in and he and he walks right into our uh, second room there where our, where our trunks are and everything. And this is where this uh, nice phallic uh, drawing that Bob uh, uh, blessed us with, and. He's standing right next to it. He hasn't seen it yet, but we're we're looking at Sandy talk to him, and right next to him is Bob's, you know, rendition. And I'm just oh, no. thinking, you know, God Almighty, please don't turn around and look at that. Just, <laughs> just do it, you know, please. And I'll be damned right after. Yeah, well, it's good seeing you, Sandy. And he turns and, it, and he looks right at it, and he he looks at me, and he looks at Bob, and then he just walked out. And I went, oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Bob, seriously. <laughs> Uh, you know, J Joe Welsh asks, uh, Dale, how tough was it for you after you came out? Were you treated differently by the players and managers? I know that your fellow umpires knew long before you made it public. I was just wondering if it made a difference afterwards. Thanks in advance. You are a pioneer for the LGBTQ community. Well, that's that's nice for him to say. You know, uh, when I came out in this, uh, uh, publicly in December of uh, 2014, uh, all the all the umpire staff had known for years. Uh, all the uh, uh, league office knew. I mean, Mike. Uh, at that time, we were registered. Uh, well, not when I when I came out, but before that, we legally got married in 2013. Uh, we were uh, domestic partners uh, in the state of Oregon and the state of California because we have uh, a house down there. And so he was, uh, he was, he had his own uh, spouse MLB ID. He had, he uh, was on my. Uh, insurance partially because it's different if you're married and if you're a domestic partner but anyway so obviously MLB knew uh, the whole staff knew and there was never any issues with that I mean I was people had asked me do you think uh, you know baseball would have penalized you somehow and I said well apparently they didn't because they had known and I, I was you know Amy crew chief they, they gave me postseason I, I obviously it didn't it wasn't an issue with them um, but I came out in publicly in December of, of 2014. So we're a few months away from baseball and, and it wasn't, you know, right in the middle of the season. My first spring training game that year in uh, 2015 in uh, Arizona, I was uh, working the Reds Indians uh, early March. It might have even been late February. And uh, it was, you know, I'd walk it on the field, even though it had been a 
couple months, two and a half months, whatever, before or when this had gone on, um, you know, I just wasn't sure what the reaction would be. I, I you know, when, when I came out, I, I had no idea once baseball started what the uh, reaction, if any, would be from the players, from the managers, the coaches, the fans. I, I just really didn't know. Um, walked on the field. It was, quite frankly, to answer the question, it was business as usual. I only had that year three players in three separate uh, times uh, come up to me and say anything, and, and it was all good. It was congratulating me and, 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 and that kind of stuff. I had uh, a third base coach who I had known for a long time. Uh, that spring, uh, he, between innings, uh, he said, you know, Dale, for you to come out in, in this forum takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage, and I, I applaud you. He said, I, I have a brother who, whose son is gay, and he's dealing, my brother's dealing with it, and, and he's dealing with it, and I know it's, it's not easy, and, 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 you know, but for you to do it on this type of stage, I have nothing but, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, admiration for you, and, which is very nice to hear, obviously. Those are, those are great things, but Quite, quite frankly, that was that was it. I didn't hear any anything from the stands that whole year. Uh, the three players, uh, two of them were that first day, that first spring training game. Um, uh, the uh, Marlon Bird was playing for uh, Cleveland. Um, or was he playing for Cincinnati? I don't really uh, you know. Cincinnati. I think it was the Cincinnati then. Anyway, he would get his play for a lot of teams. He was in uh, left field. I started that spring training game at first base. For the first two innings, so he was opposite me. He had the third base dugout. Well, uh, I, I go over to a third base in, in inning three, and after that half inning, he runs right by me. And he goes, "Dale, Dale!" and he puts his arms out and he he goes, "Hey, brother!" and he gives me a big bear hug and he goes, "You're free, buddy. You're free. I'm so proud of you." And I was like, "You know, I wasn't expecting that at all." I said, "Well, thanks, Marlon. I appreciate that." He goes, "Yeah, I'm I'm really proud of you." Uh, Joey Votto later that day came and congratulated me. Uh, um, and, and then there was one other player down. Well, it was, it was, uh, Wolfie, uh, uh, you know, Wolfie's brother was, uh, I was holding him up on a replay to see if we're going to go to replay. And when an inning was over, he was going off the mound. So I'm standing right by him and he goes, Hey, by the way, Dale, I haven't had a chance to say anything. This was like in August or something. He goes, I haven't had a chance to say anything, but I, I'm, I'm really proud of you. There's a lot of guts to do that. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. So, so that was the only reaction I had. Uh, I, uh, basically it was just a non issue. It was business as usual. It was, uh, and I said uh, when I came out in that, that December in, in, in interviews, I said, you know, it, when that question was asked, how do you think the players or uh, managers and stuff will, will react? And I said, you know, I think they're probably much more concerned about me getting plays and pitches right than uh, what I'm doing uh, when the game's over. I said, I, I, I have a feeling that there probably won't be much reaction at all. It might have been different if it had happened during the season, but uh, because there was that three-month break or whatever, uh, quite frankly, I think a lot of the players forgot if they even knew, <laughs> quite frankly, you know, so they're pretty much, uh, uh, involved, uh, with their, with them, their own, uh, uh, their own selves. So it was a very positive, uh, 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 deal for me. Uh, I got, uh, probably 250 emails, uh, when that first broke, all of them were positive. And now I, I did see things, uh, uh, like comments, uh, uh, in stories on online when you don't have to identify yourself that were, you know, a little derogatory and stupid and dumb, but, uh, uh, it was the, the uh, emails that were specifically directed at me and stuff. I had one guy, this is funny. I, I had one person to email me and said, I am shocked and appalled that Dale Scott came out as a duck fan because hey, hey. it was, it was, it was, in oh, the, no. it was in the story that I was a, was a duck fan. 
so he says that and so in the very next paragraph he says but it makes sense because of all their uniform changes <laughs> <laughs> i said that's classic <laughs> that is classic i had another i had a lady uh, uh, email me and she said I, i'm so and so i've been a uh, you know 27 year yankee season ticket holder i am so proud of you i'm so happy for you and mike i hope uh, you know years of happiness and, and just on and on and on next paragraph however as a yankee fan I still do not understand why you screw the Yankees every time you have them. It's <laughs> just like, well, you know what? That's, that's fair game. I'm an umpire. Of course, they're going to, you know, remember that more than anything else. So it, it was a very positive uh, situation for me. I'm glad I did it. I, I, uh, I've had uh, uh, numerous uh, organizations. I've, you know, I've had people reach out. I was just at the uh, National Association of Sports Officials, the NASO, uh, summit in new orleans uh this past weekend and i had several people who none of which i knew uh, that just come up to me and just say and i've had this happen uh since then uh, at you know spring training games or, or or leaving a ballpark or just random people that have come up and said uh uh you 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 know you've uh, inspired me you you've done so much for the community you, you have no idea how how this has given uh, myself and there's a lot of the emails to this too have you given myself the uh, courage and the uh, confidence to uh, to tell my my partners, I, I, guys. I heard from 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 cops, from from uh, football, basketball, baseball, uh, soccer uh, officials, from from uh, 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 you know people all around the world that emailed me and, and said I, I'm not ready to come out yet. I, I've been you know I'm, I'm I I I I, I want to take that step, but I'm not I'm not prepared. But then I I heard about your story and 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 saw you in interviews, and you've given me so much courage, and I'm. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, approach this a different way or whatever it was, but it was so uplifting that I had no idea uh, by me doing that, how many people it, it touched throughout the world and, and, and so many people that I'll never hear from, you know, that, 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 uh, that somehow it gave them uh, some, the confidence to, to be who they are. And I think that's really special. Uh, L Staben asks, so, I referee soccer and I'm 20 years old doing division one games and hoping to continue to move up. Anyway, do you have any advice on how to come out to your colleagues when it comes to officiating? I know it's soccer and not baseball, but still the same concept of how your crew needs to work together as a team coming out is something that really concerns me if I continue to move up as a referee. So any advice you have would be appreciated. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asked that a lot, uh, both people in sports and out, but, uh, you know, coming out is a very personal decision. So it, it's something that, you know, I, I, I can tell people my experience and how it affected me and how people related to me uh, through that experience. But, uh, you know, it's not for me to say that you should or shouldn't. Uh, all I can tell you is, is uh, it, from my experience, it was, uh, it was, uh, such an uplifting, uh, uh, you know, thing that happened for me, and not only from the response that I got from people, but for myself, I had, I, I really didn't, I don't know, I, I really didn't think of it this way, but I felt like after that half, after I did that, I, I really felt uh, uh, freedom. I felt, I felt uh, uh, that a weight had been taken off my shoulders. I, I felt like, you know, now I can, 
you know, truly be who I am. I mean, I played, you know, when I first got into baseball and, and, and both minor leagues and my first, my first 10, uh, you know, 10, 12 years in the big leagues before uh, guys uh, actually came up to me, uh, other umpires that I worked with and told me one-on-one that, Hey, I know you have a different lifestyle and I'm all, you know, I just want, you to know, I'll walk on the field with you anytime. Uh, and you don't need to, you know, hide it from me or whatever, you know, and then which caught me off guard at first, but, but the, the, you know, I played the game. I mean, I, 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 uh, you know, uh, acted like I was straight. I, I, I had, uh, when Mike would come visit me and, and I remember one time in Chicago, it was like my second year, uh, you know, the whole crew was at the one, uh, uh hotel and, uh, we would take separate elevators and stuff because I just, I was so, now I think of it and I, I, I'm embarrassed that I did that and I, I feel stupid about doing that. But at the time, I, you know, I, I would have been horrified if, uh, if that had come out, especially early in my career, because I'm still trying to establish myself as an umpire with my partners, with the league, with the players, with the media, with the fans. And uh, I certainly didn't need something like that uh, to come crashing down. Plus it was a different time, completely different time, you know? So um, my advice to him is, is, is be true to yourself. I, I think a lot of times uh, I'm not saying always, but a lot of times when, when, when guys or women come out to their friends, their colleagues, family or whatever, a lot of times it's you, before you actually do it, you, you think the worst. You're not sure how people are going to respond. You think your best friend is going to, you know, hate you. You think your family is going to, you know, uh, uh, you know, have you go away and, and whatever. A lot of times it's, it's so not that it's people say they're, 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 they're so happy that, that, that you have uh, trust in them, in them to tell them to, for you to tell them they, some of them, you know, say, well, she, I knew that I just, now you've confirmed it, you know, but it, um, are there negative effects? Of course there is. There are always going to be people that just don't understand, that don't want to understand, that uh, uh, maybe have uh, real religious uh, religious issues or whatever. But my advice to him is, is you know the people you're talking about, you know yourself, um, and, you know, be. Tr- I keep saying this, but be true to yourself because I think the, once once you get over that hump and if you ever do actually come out, to, uh, to colleagues and to partners uh, uh, on the soccer field and, and whatever, I think you'd be surprised on how positive it's going to be uh, for you and how, uh, how uh, 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 the freedom you feel and the un- how, how unburdened you are, um, you know, once you, once you tell people because uh, it really does give you a, a sense of, you know what, I can finally be 100% me and not have this, secret in this uh, defense mechan- uh, mechanism always, uh, you know, popping up in, in conversations. You know, I would, I would come, uh, we'd have a week off, we'd go back, our first game back, and you know, my partners would say, yeah, uh, my wife and I, uh, we went to the, the beach for three days, had a great time. Uh, my, the other partner, my wife and I, we took our kids and we went to the water park and we did this. And, you know, uh, Mike and I, uh, we had gone to the Oregon coast for a couple of days and took our dog somewhere or whatever. But I really couldn't share that, you know, uh, so I, I just, oh, yeah, I, you know, I went with some friends to the to the coast or I, uh, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, that's all part of playing the game. But it also it takes a, a little bit out of you, like like you're not being honest, you're not being truthful, you're not being truthful to yourself, you know, and you're certainly not being truthful to uh, uh, the person you're with, uh, even though, you know, you know, he's not physically there. But it's, it just seems like it's it just isn't right. And so uh, 
my advice is to, to, to be true to yourself and, and do what you think's best. And uh, you have a support system, trust me. Uh, and you'll be surprised how many people will, will, will have your back. Dave Pallone was an umpire in the National League from 1979 to 1988. He famously uh, wrote a book following his dismissal from the National League uh, called Behind the Mask, My Double Life in Baseball. Noe Yingling asked, did you have any communication with Dave Pallone? And uh, if so, uh, what did you guys talk about? Uh, I, I, every once in a while, not very often, we might uh, email um, or, or uh you know, it's it, 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 we've met before a couple of different times when it when he first uh, his book first uh, came out um, in the uh, early 90s, I believe it might have been 1990. Uh, um, it just so happened uh, it was in the offseason. Mike and I were down in uh, L.A. and we ran into him at a uh, function that, uh, uh, you know, I didn't know him. I'd met him before, but I didn't know him very well. This is the first time I uh, uh, that we saw each other after he you know, had come out and, and his book and everything. And we talked, but uh, to answer the question, no, we're not in constant contact. We, we talk every once in a while, but uh, you know, he, he was at a whole completely different situation. It was a different time there in the late eighties. Um, you know, he had the uh, issues of, of, of being somebody that worked during the, the 79 strike and, and those, uh, those things that, uh, you know, burdened his relationships with other umpires and stuff. So, um, it was a, it was really kind of a completely different type of deal just because of, of the, of the time. Back to some video plays here that we'll link up on our site. Uh, glad you've joined us on the plate meeting. We're with Dale Scott, Gil and T-Mac with you. Seemed like, uh, you had, uh, some fun with Texas and Toronto, that matchup for a couple of years. And, uh, it started in a, a divisional round series when there was, this interesting incident where Russell Martin throws the ball back and it hits uh, Chu's bat. And um, at first you thought it was interference and then it wasn't. And then people threw everything and their brother out onto the field from the upper deck and lower decks. What was that whole uh, incident like? Uh, just another day at the office. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely day in Toronto. Uh, you know, if somebody had told me uh, right before we were walking out uh, for a game five uh, win or go home plate job that we would have uh, two ejections, uh, several uh, stoppages because fans are throwing stuff on the field, uh, several uh, stoppages because uh, the teams uh, were going at each other. Uh, we would have a rule that um, in 30 years of plus years of baseball that I, I had never seen. Uh, we would have a protested game. I might have retired that night, uh, right before I went. <laughs> I, uh, you know, you, the thing about officiating and and and, and baseball, and I, I was talking about this at the uh, uh, NASA convention. Is it, it, every day is a new day. You never know when you walk on the field if you're going to have a no hitter that day, or if you're going to have a, a three grand slams, or you're going to have two triple plays. Which, by the way, I was at third base when Gary Gaetti called both triple play or the second wow. triple play uh, in Boston uh, one year. So you just never know what's going to happen. That was one of the most wild, uh, ridiculous, not only games, but innings, um, <laughs> you know, it, ever. I mean, it was just, it was insane. It was, uh, you know, I, I, I had, uh, you know, I, I definitely made a mistake when it first happened. I had, a few weeks earlier, we had had a play, um, I believe we were in Milwaukee, 
I was on the bases, but it was a runners at first and third, less than two outs. And the hitter swung and missed for strike three on a, on a pitch in the dirt. Now you don't have to, you know, tag him or throw it because it's less than two outs and first is occupied. But so he swung and missed it. The ball kind of came off the catcher's chest and went out in front of the plate and the hitter swung and missed it. He didn't know where the ball is. He was walking to the first base dugout and he inadvertently uh, didn't kick it far, but just uh, his foot as he's walking, hit the, hit the ball. We have a regulation that, that if there's no intent and it's not, uh, you know, the, the, the ball's dead, he's out. No one's trying to do anything uh, illegal and, 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 uh, and uh, you know, nobody can advance obviously. And, and on that play, I believe the runner from first was advancing. So we sent him back. So it was basically nothing. It's just time, you know, nothing, nothing happens. No one can advance, nothing happens. So when this happened, and <laughs> I mean, how many times, A, is Russell Martin throwing the ball to the pitcher after a pitch? And how many times, B, have I seen a catcher throw the ball to the pitcher after a pitch? Uh, a lot. <laughs> and uh, you, just, you, you just aren't thinking of that. I, I, he, he throws it, it hits it immediately in the, in the, in the, in the moment. I, I, I cross-referenced this, 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 this uh, play that we had a few weeks earlier, like, like, oh, oh, that's nothing. That's nothing good, you know, time. Well, as I, as I'm calling time and I'm, I'm sending them back and I'm thinking, well, okay, what, what, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something's not right. Something's not right. So Jeff comes out the Rangers and, and, and as, as he's, you know, he's a former catcher. And as he's uh, saying, no, Dale, because I, I know this, I know this because it happened to me in the minor leagues when I was catching. And, and as he's talking about, I'm, I'm thinking, man, you just uh, did something to the pooch. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I was, I was suddenly coming to the realization that you, I had just screwed up. So I said, all right, Jeff, hold on. And so I got the crew together. Now, I had taken some criticism uh, from from other umpire, not uh, big league guys, people I don't know, but it, like on, online uh, forums and stuff. That well, you know, first of all, the play when it hit the bat, it it it, it went off to an area there was no fielder within, you know, thirty feet, twenty feet of the of the ball. That being said, the runner Odor uh, at third broke immediately. So, if I had done it properly and not called time he would have scored easily. I mean, there was zero play on this guy and my calling time did not alter the play whatsoever. I mean, uh, uh, it didn't make a fielder stop going after the ball or, or anything like that. So uh, I had taken some criticism and, you know, rightly so I, I shouldn't have called time, but the point was that some people were saying, Hey, even though he screwed up, he called time. You cannot advance on timeout. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, in most cases, this is not most cases. Um, one thing about umpiring is, especially if, if, if you know, there's, there's some mistakes that you make as an umpire, you just, you just can't correct. It's, it's, you, you got to live with it, at, you know, a non-replay type, you know, situation, whatever. But it was very obvious to me that it would, I would be compounding my mistake big time if I didn't score this runner. Um, I'll take the heat for the way I, I, uh, uh, my mechanics and what I did that day, but we got the play right. We got it hundred percent right. And it would have been a, a, a absolutely uh, wrong not to score that runner in that situation. But when I got the crew together, I said, I knew the answer because I saw where the ball went and how he broke so quickly, but I, I wanted to make sure I, everybody's on the same page. I said, uh, first of all, I had the, had the hand up and I said, guys, 
I think I screwed this up bad. I said, I called Ty, you know, said what happened. I said, shoot, uh, he was not over the plate. He was not doing anything. He was just standing there. He was uh, uh, well within his rights to just stand there. And, and, and so I said, I called Ty, but I said, I want to make sure. I think I know the answer. I'm pretty sure I do. I want to make sure for everybody else. My calling time had no effect on that play. He would have scored regardless of if I had or had not. And they said, absolutely. There was nobody even near that baseball. And and plus, he broke so quickly. So I said, all right, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to score this guy, and I'll take care of John. <laughs> uh, John Gibbons, because I'm pretty confident he's going to have something to say. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and of course, it was a go-ahead run in the, in the top of the seventh. So I score him and, and, and let the games begin. It was... <laughs> insane uh, john uh, who was also a catcher uh, in his playing days uh you know he said why how can this happen how can this well, you know what's funny a couple a uh, couple things about this whole situation one during his argument the whole time john never once said i called time uh, he 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 was saying at first that shoe got in his way or that, uh, you know, that he was leaning over. Then he, then he said, well, it's just nothing. It's, you know, it, it was just a mistake. It, it, it's not, you know, it's not interference on him, but it's, you know, it, it, but it's just like a, you know, a do-over or whatever. And I, he kept grasping. He never once said, well, you called time and, 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 and sent him back, he, which, which shocked me because, you know, that, that seemed rather uh, an obvious uh, argument to make. But, uh, and it, he just could not understand how we could, allow this runner to to score but i'll be honest with you <clears throat> excuse me deep down I, I think he realized as we were talking that you know and i kept saying john i know we looked bad doing this but we got the play right uh, and 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 you know th this is the right thing to do and i would do the exact same thing for you if it was reversed this is you know it, it's just the right thing to do and and sometimes as an umpire, uh, the right thing to do is, is, is to, you know, you got to step up and, and take the heat, but you know, you know, you know, you're right. So, um, you know, he continued on and how, you know, it just, he, he just was grasping at straws. And finally I, I, I said, I said, John, you, you know, do you want to get ejected over this? He goes, no, I don't want to get, it. I said, okay, well then this is, you know, we're, we're done talking. I mean, this is what we're going to do. He said, well, I, I, I want to protest. I go, okay, what are you going to protest? And he said, well, I protest everything. <laughs> I, I protest all of it and i said well you know that's all well and good but you gotta you know are you protesting that we misapplied this rule are you saying that that you know i mean what what he goes yes yes you misapplied the rule that, that he that that should not have uh, that should have been a dead ball and nobody goes on it goes anywhere i said uh, okay well nowadays if you have a protest uh, with the with the replay and, and Chelsea we have to go to the headsets. Uh, it's uh, mandatory to go to the headsets and make sure that we have the rule right that we have the situation everything all, you know everything is uh, is the way it should be uh, because we have that tool now and it'd be stupid not to but uh, sure. you know that just added more delay to this entirely long situation anyway. Now as this was all happening of course we have we're getting rained on by uh, uh, cans and bottles and 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 radio batteries and uh, uh, you who know, brings radio batteries to a ball game? Well, somebody had a radio and they uh, obviously just took it out of the radio and uh, I don't know. I mean, I, it it was insane. I, at one point, uh, the the police came out to each six police came out to each one of us, and I was standing with this one guy, and he said, he said, uh, 
you can do what you want. But my advice to you is when this game's over, you run your ass off this field. <laughs> he said, and he said, I'll be right with you. But uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, you guys usually walk. He goes, I, I, dude, you are my best friend. You stay right with me and we'll, uh, we'll get through this together. So we went, uh, I went uh, to talk to Chelsea, uh, Kerwin Danley and uh, Paul Nart, where they uh, replay guys uh, in, in uh, Chelsea. And, uh, we went over everything to make sure that we, we were administering uh, this properly. You know, this is a situation if I guess if you want to specifically say black and white, by God, you call time and there's no way you can score on a, a dead ball like that, or he can't advance, whatever, you know, uh, probably technically you're right, but you also have a 901 C situation. Uh, uh, you, sometimes, you know, officiating and umpiring is common sense and fair play. And common sense and fair play told me I'm not going to race a run that was deserved to them. I mean, they deserve that run because of my mistake. And I will, I will take the heat for however it comes uh, afterwards. So we scored them and, and we finally, and we, we, we lodged the protest and, uh, and we went on. And of course, then we had the, uh, we had, uh, you know, more uh, bench. We had bench clearings after the Batista thing. We had, uh, we had more debris on the field. We had two ejections, uh, Mark Burley, who was on the DL and was warned earlier in the game that he couldn't be yelling. Any, anytime you're on the DL, it's a courtesy to be in the dugout and uh, you're not supposed to participate at all in anything. You're not supposed to come on the field, anything. And so uh, 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 we ran him and we also got uh, Michael Saunders was popping off and uh, Vic uh, Carapaza uh, took care of him, but it was a unbelievable night. When we finally got done, I went to the hotel. I had of course a huge uh, report to write uh, I had an early flight uh, home, uh, uh, knowing that I was leaving regardless the next day, and uh, I never slept. I I, I wrote a re- you know, kind of, of course the league wanted to report immediately. I mean, as soon as I get it get it in there, and it was rather detailed. And I, uh, you know, obviously I was in my hotel room going over video on, online to make sure I got all the particulars correct uh, in the report. And and by the time I finished that and sent it, uh, emailed it to the to the office. Uh, you, you know, it's like, well, might as well pack up, take a shower, pack up and uh, head to the airport. So it was uh, re- it was really quite something. Speaking of Texas and Toronto, I, I love the video. and We talked about it a lot with, with with Bob in the last podcast, Dale. But I love the video of your face when you see John Gibbons, who had already been ejected back on the field <laughs> and you escort him off the field like he's a like a little child that had just done something wrong. And Jonathan Stevenson's just asked your take on that brawl and also walking uh, John Gibbons off the field after he had been ejected. What was well, going you know, on? Right when we, uh, when we got our schedule for that year, I, I bit on our schedule and, and uh, uh, I, you know, immediately I saw <laughs> we got Texas Toronto and uh, I said, as luck would have it, uh, lucky me. Um, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I saw also that it was after they had played in Toronto. Of course, they only play once in each part. Uh, it was about two weeks, 10 days after they played in Toronto. So I thought, well, if we're lucky, they'll kill each other in Toronto and then it'll be out of their system when, uh, when we get them. But everything went smooth in Toronto. And our three-game series, everything went smooth uh, the first two games. And everything was going smooth as far as those two clubs. We had already ejected Gibbons for uh, on pitches. I had ejected uh, Tim, uh, uh, the first base coach, uh, uh, with a leaper. Leaper. Yeah. Because uh, he wanted a Bach call and, and, you know, uh, he was insane. And then, uh, uh, 
you know, so, I mean, it did, I mean, it wasn't a smooth game. We had some situations we dealt with them, but nothing was happening because of what had happened the, the, the year before in the playoffs. And we're ticking down the innings and then we're getting closer to the end. And I'm thinking <laughs> there's no way we can escape this with it. And I, can we, I mean, can we really get through this without anything, you know? the sixth game of the only six they're going to play the very next year. And now we're in about the seventh inning and we're, you know, uh, we may get through this. Well, well, we didn't. Um, I didn't see the, the, the initial, you know, I didn't see it till, till on the, on the uh, video, the uh, hit that Odor uh, gave Batista. I've been, or I've seen a lot of uh, baseball quote unquote uh, fights. Only there's only two where they really fought. And that was, obviously one of them and one was years ago oakland and milwaukee when uh there was some pretty good shots uh taking place in that one but um you know plus i had a double play possibility uh, when this was happening and of course the ball was thrown off offline because he was getting buried and I, at first i followed the ball and as i'm following the ball as it's going toward dead ball territory i see the entire ranger dugout coming flying out of the dugout and i go I, I, there must be something going it on. Over there. The batter runner, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was just. Uh, you know, uh, uh, all bets are off. Here we go. Yeah. There. There was. Uh, there was. There was only one year in your career where you had eight ejections, um, which was your career high, and it was 2016, and it was yeah. thanks to Texas and Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and, and the thing about ejections, we always, you know, uh, 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 you know brawl ejections or, or uh, throwing out a hitter ejections, you know, we don't count as much just because they're, you know, those are almost, uh, uh, you know, standard operating procedures or whatever. Sure. But you're exactly right. I remember <laughs> like that going, uh, <laughs> I mean, some of those uh, ejections, some of those years I had one ejection too, you know, I had five here. I had eight. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what the hell's going on? But um, yeah, you know, the, and again, when, when you have the teams out there and they were, there, there was some good, uh, some good, uh, screw, uh, you know, skirmishes going on and 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 of course we're in the peripheral we're just trying to kind of observe because we're trying to not to get although we were kind of in the middle of it. i mean it was it was uh, it was one of the best brawls that i've ever been a part of as, as far as guys were really not having having it man I, there were there were certain guys that were absolutely including the managers uh that were ready to ready to roll i looked up i see gibbons i, I said what what where did you come from? <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, Steve Bouchelle, who I had in the minor leagues and I've known Steve for a long time. And, um, he, he bench coach for the, for the Rangers. And he was, he was being very aggressive. In fact, we ended up ejecting him with, you know, the thing is what was funny after we got him off the, everybody off the field and the four of us got together and, and we're going over who, who we're going to get and what was going on. Uh, we got, uh, Donaldson for Toronto because he was very aggressive in the fight. Of course, we got Odor, we got Batista, uh, and you know when you have those brawls, and you know it's not written, it's not a rule, it's not anything, but you don't want to, you know, uh, after a brawl, throw out five guys from one team and one from another. I mean, uh, now if it's warranted, I mean, if it really is a situation, but rarely is that the is that the situation. You might get you know four and three or four and two, but, but you. You know, you, you, you want to be cognizant that you don't uh, overload uh, you know, unless they deserve it. But in this case, there was a lot going on. So it's like, okay, well, let's, uh, who else do we have uh, for Texas? We got Odor. Who else we got? And, and the only one that we really saw that was being extremely aggressive besides the manager, Jeff, 
but who was uh, uh, certainly very uh, verbal and 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 pushing and shoving and, and and really going after guys was Bouchelle. So when we went over to the Texas dugout to tell Jeff who you know what we were doing, who we were running from that team and and then his own team, we said from you guys we, we got Odor and. Uh, we're going to get Bouchelle and Bouchelle was standing over to the side. He goes, wait a minute. And he starts yelling. And, and, and I think you see on the video, Jeff just puts his hand up and, and stops him. Like, dude, you're not a player. <laughs> Shut up. We'll, we'll sacrifice you in a heartbeat. You know, they, they got Donaldson over there. Okay. They, they ran Donaldson. You, you are not fielding baseballs today. So just, just go away. <laughs> so uh, it was, it was so funny how Jeff reacted like, yeah, uh, Bouchelle. Great. You want another coach? Get another coach. I don't care. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but it was, it was, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of times in those, uh, bench clearings, uh, the, you know, a lot of times the managers are trying to get some kind of order or, or, uh, uh, peacemakers, so to speak. Not always, but some, you know, a lot of times they are, this time was not the case. They, they were, they, this had built up since October, the year before uh, we're in May the next year. And it was all coming out pretty much at the same time. So it, it, uh, it was, that was, you know, it was a getaway day and we have a report and, and uh, it was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty long report that we had to put together because we had so many ejections, not just from the brawl, but from you know, earlier in the game too. And then uh, throwing at hitters and, you know, the whole thing. So how, how long would an ejection report take just one, if a routine uh, as compared to one where you have a brawl and you're ejecting, you know, multiple players? Well, you know, a routine ejection report, you can, you could fire those off. Uh, I mean, in, you know, we have, we have a f- online form that a lot of it, you just check boxes and stuff. Then you, then you uh, write in and describe what went on, whatever, but uh, you know, a, a normal or a, a routine ejection, you know, maybe, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. I mean, it's, it doesn't take very long, but uh, something like that with uh, eight uh, different ejections and, 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 and eight ejections in, in, in like uh, four different times of the game and, uh, uh, and for multiple uh, offenses, some for fighting, some for throwing at hitters, some for arguing balls and strikes, uh, one for, you know, arguing a, a no call box or whatever. It, it took us, uh, I don't know. We, it probably, and, and plus, you know, you're getting information. It's not just me right now. We have, all four guys and what they observed and, and all that kind of stuff. Plus we're watching the video to see if stuff that we didn't see on the field. And of course, once that all goes in the league office, will watch the video and they may get somebody that we didn't get uh, when they see, you know, somebody do something. Uh, but that one probably took, uh, Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, close to an hour probably uh, to get it all, get it all, you know, sorted out and, 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 and into a report and with the details and all that stuff. Rich MSN asks us, uh, my favorite, or makes a statement, first, my favorite Dale Scott ejection was the one with Freddie Gonzalez where he has his hand over his mouth, looked like he thought, yep, he's got to go, ejected Freddie, then put his hand back over his mouth, just like it was a routine break in the conversation. (laughs) Uh, This is one of the coolest ejections of all time. You have three uh, umpires and one manager. I think it's C.B. Buckner, and I'm trying to remember, is the third one uh, Marvin Hudson? Uh, it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, Danny CB myself and, uh, gosh, I just looked at that too. Uh, um, now I'm drawing a blank. It, it'll, it'll come to us. It'll I'll come. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It was a catch, no catch that CB had a no catch, um, runners, uh, runner at first, I believe, uh, when the play started, there were two outs 
I'm sorry, he had a catch, and uh, uh, the the uh, us on the this is before replay now, and us on the field, we saw we saw uh, you know we 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 knew that it was a no catch. We just happened to see the see it skip in, and and so you know naturally the Phillies are are all screaming, and we immediately got together and and uh, you know both Danny and uh, and the other umpire who shall remain nameless, Jerry Mills. Uh, Jerry Mills, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we all we all had something different than CB, so we're going to change it. And then, then it was, you know, a discussion. Okay, if we're going to we're going to say uh, it's a no catch where we put the runners, and then we decided to put a, uh, the runner from first to third, and the batter runner at first. So uh, that's what we did, and it was the right call. And uh, 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 so now here comes Freddie, and Freddie, you know, Freddie, it's a typical. He knew we were right. It was the typical argument. Of how can you? He's right on the play. He's right on the play. How can you overturn him from X amount over here and over here? And and, and it, you know, it's the standard. Uh, you know, he didn't argue the call at all. He was arguing the the, the mechanics of it and the, and how we did it. And, and I said, Freddie, you know, you, you know uh, that if this was reversed, we'd do the same for you. We're just get, we're getting the play right. And, and it was really a rather calm discussion. He was just putting his point, but it was it was one of those that. that uh, you know, he was going to get run. I just, I finally, I just said, I had my hand, you know, over my mouth. I said, I said, Freddie, do you want to get run over this? Yeah, I, I need to get run over this. I'm okay. Boom. And then, uh, and then uh, continued on. And, you know, every once in a while you have a situation where it's a manager's job, basically you run and, and yeah, they're not happy, but they also, it's just, you're getting run more on just general principles. You know, I mean, I got to get run. You got to run me uh, on this one. And uh, I had, I had one with Terry Collins in Atlanta one time on a, catch no catch that we that we uh, uh got again before replay and we got together and and reversed it and went against him and i said terry you know terry you know this is what we're doing and and, and we got the play right you know we got the play right i said do you want to go or not because i don't give a shit what do you is that what i'm supposed to do and i said okay you know here you go um and 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 it's just almost like a uh uh you know you knew, you just knew they're going to get run I mean, and and that was the kind of that was the one with freddie and uh, and so it, was, it looked rather routine uh, when it happened because it, it basically kind of was. The communication on the headsets, uh, is there ever a, a both-way talk? Is there, are there some guys that are maybe will crack a joke or two now and again? Um, how does, when you put on the headset, take me through the process to the end game? Well, you want to hear another Bob Davidson story. <laughs> um, there was a, uh, you know, Bob was in radio and I was in radio when I was younger. We always used to, you know, uh, uh, traffic and weather together on the eights. Uh, Dale, what's going on up there at the uh, Chopper 5? Well, Bob, looks like another, you know, we just go on and on about a bunch of BS. But uh, there was a afternoon disc jockey in the Phoenix uh, area, in Phoenix, at a, 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 a FM station that was a, a, a rock, uh, you know, station that uh, he, <laughs> I had heard this guy. His name on the radio was Craven Moorhead. All right. So, no, no, yeah, I, I'm really. Totally serious. This is Craven <laughs> Moorhead, you know. And so, wow. I mean, I that cracked me up, right? So, I mean, it's hilarious. So, I told Bob one day, yeah, you go, you hear this guy in Phoenix. And I told him the name, and Bob goes, oh, that's it. He thought that was the funniest thing he ever heard. And now he was all, you know, all, every time I'd see him or whatever, I'm Craven Moorhead, you know, <laughs> of course you are. So, um, I, I was, he was in replay unbeknownst to me. I didn't know who was in replay. I, I don't remember where I was at. I get on the headsets and I always, when I would get on, I would always say, uh, you know, like uh, if I was in San Francisco, hello, Chelsea, 
this is the city by the bay, you know, or something like that. Um, I was in Houston once. He said, hello, Chelsea, this is Houston. We have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, oh, I, got, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I think I was in San Francisco when, when he did this. I, I got and I you never a lot of times you have no idea who's on the other end until you get up, you know, until you get on. And I said, "Hello, Chelsea. Uh, uh, this is uh, the city by the bay." And, and I hear, "Hello, Dale. This is Craven Warhead." <laughs> <laughs> and I I could hear in the background, you know, the, everybody in the in the replay center are laughing. And when I see the video, I, I you know, I'm very serious. Uh, Hello, Chelsea. This is the city by the bay. And then you see me just start laughing. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and they, they told us when we had replay. Go, now you got to remember, you're going to be on camera. You can't, you can't, you know, don't be picking yeah. your nose. Don't be doing, you know, doing, <laughs> you know, stuff because you, they're going to be focused on you as, as you're on the headsets and all this stuff. So I, I was always cognizant of that. And he said that, and I, <laughs> I just broke up. And I, if I, if I'm not mistaken, you know, Danny was on the headsets with me, and he starts laughing. You know, I was like. Oh my God! It was it was uh, it was pretty funny, but uh, that's that's what the, the the mechanics of it is. A lot of times, most times, you don't know who you're going to have on the other end when you pick up the headsets to uh, to talk to Chelsea. And and uh, you know, I would like I said, I would always uh, say something about uh, ah, from the beautiful Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, Seattle, uh, Chelsea, what's up or whatever, you know, just to start it off. But yes, there is two way communications uh, communication that. Um, uh, you know, one time we had a situation where uh, uh, Toby Basner, I believe it was Toby, called a uh, Red Sox runner out at the plate. And it was one of those where it was a sack fly. And it was one of those where the he 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 beat the ball. I mean, if, if you were just looked at, it, you would say, oh, he's safe. Um, but he never got to the plate. Um, it, it, it was before we had the, the catching blocking rule and all that crap. And, uh, and he, you know, and Toby took his time and boom, he called him out and the Red Sox, everyone not so. And, and of course we go to replay and, and Jerry Davis was the replay official. And, and he was having, and of course we don't see those anymore. Like when we first had, we don't have a monitor there. So uh, we're not exactly sure what it shows or what angles they have, but Jerry was having trouble finding, uh, uh, finding the, uh, he was having trouble confirming what he had. He, there was nothing that said that, that, uh, I'm trying to remember. There was, a, it, it was like, I don't see a, I don't see a tag or I don't see, you know, he wasn't sure what he had. And, and Toby, you know, was on the other headset and he said, he said, he said, he looked at me, he goes, Dale, he goes, he goes, uh, I, by the way, I, I never had him touch. He never touched the plate. I said, I said, Jerry, uh, Jerry, uh, he said, uh, Toby just said that, you know, by the way, FYI, the runner never got to the plate. He goes, oh, okay, that makes sense now. He goes, I, cause I'm, he was trying to find, uh, uh, you know, an angle. He was looking for something. Once he heard that information, th then it made sense to him. And again, it, you know, talking about it right now probably doesn't make sense, but that was a two way communication that completely opened up what Jerry, uh, you know, came back and, and, and confirmed it or, uh, had it stand because of that information that we gave him. Um, a lot of times if you have a uh, spectator interference on an overthrow or something, um, even though in Chelsea we have the cameras where you can see where all the runners are at at the time and you can, it's all synced up, uh, you know, there might be some two-way communication about, uh, uh, you know, uh, where, did, where did you have the runner? Or did, did, did he break immediately or whatever it is? But, you know, it's just whatever, whatever the communication might, have, uh, might be to help the replay official 
come up with uh, with a, with the ruling. So yes, there is two way communication, and sometimes it's from Craven Moorhead. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how to how to follow that, but we'll try with uh, some user questions as we take uh, to the close of the Dale Scott podcast right here on Close Call Sports. Thank you for joining us on the plate meeting. B Metal asks, "It's awesome to hear that Dale will be on the podcast." So, is this site well known? Talking about Close Call Sports among the Major League Baseball guys, do any umpires lurk here? Dale, were you a lurker? Uh, I was not a lurker. I, I would uh, I would sign on every once in a while to uh, to just, uh, you know, uh, see the ejections of the evening or, 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 or uh, you know, whatever. But I, do guys lurk on, on the site? I have no idea. I, I don't know of any, uh, but I have no idea. But are the guys aware of the site? Absolutely. Uh, they are, and and uh, you know, and is Major League Baseball aware of the site? Yes, they are. They're not. Oh happy. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we know that. We know that. <laughs> yes, I, I'm sure you do. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, it it the, the information that you guys can get on that site uh, so quickly and 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 very insightful in both cases almost leads you to believe that yes, there there is. Uh, you know, a, a mole <laughs> or something. Uh, no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that Dale, that uh, MLB actually, you know, when I say MLB is aware, one of the things that they uh, contact me, uh, me on reach out to me is I had an ejection report. I forgot what the precise play was, but you know, from reading it, they thought that, Hey Gil, how did you, uh, how did you manage to get a copy of the ejection report? And I'm like, well, no, I didn't get a copy. I just wrote it out from watching the video. But apparently it matched whatever uh, report the umpire had submitted close enough that they thought I might be getting some inside info. When, to be clear, MLB, who I'm sure is listening, I don't get any inside info that I'm not supposed to. Well, they, they were... care to give us some MLB. We'd love to we'd love to have it. <laughs> Well, they were they were convinced a few a few years ago. I remember at our uh, annual uh, meeting in January, uh, you know, basically uh, the powers to be at Major League Baseball said that if we find any of our staff that is providing information to these guys, whether it be a schedule or a, or a reason somebody's out or, or a, uh, you know whatever, um, you there will be there will be severe consequences. They 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 want. They wanted to shut, and I, I assume they still do, wanting to shut you down so bad. Um, but I, you know, um, I don't know what to say. They, I, you know, you, you, it's certainly not, the site's not illegal, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and, and they, were, they were convinced, and they probably still are, that somebody, uh, uh, some umpire or some supervisor, somebody is, is, is feeding you guys information. Yeah, not true. Not but true. Uh, we, we, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, how we've grown over the years and just, you know, and now that we're going into audio podcasts and, and getting more rules interpretation, we're trying to provide our users out there, the young and old with, you know, stuff that's relevant to, to umpiring baseball and all to try to change the culture of umpiring, make it a more positive environment. We hope we're doing that in some way. Right. Right. And, you know, and the, and the thing is, is that, uh, when, when, you know, there, so many people, the vast majority of people, you know, they don't know the rules. They don't know, um, you know, some, you know, I still got questions of, so do you, do you travel with the teams? Uh, you know, do you, do you, you know, what, so that job, do you have weekends off? No, we don't have weekends off. No, <laughs> you know, uh, but, 
uh, you know, it's a little sidebar here. Several years ago, we were in Yankee Stadium, the, the new Yankee Stadium, uh, uh, Danny and I, and, and, and I think we were at a rain delay or something, and, and Keith Olbermann uh, was, had walking by our locker room in the hallway. The only reason we, we knew he was there is because uh, uh, our clubhouse guy had just, was just coming in, and, and we saw him out there or something. Anyway, and so we said, hey, Keith, Keith, come here. And so we called him in. You know, I, none of us had ever met him before, and and uh, uh, we were just kind of you know general BS. Hey, how you doing? Blah blah blah. But he uh, somehow the I don't even know how it came up, but we started talking about well, there's an ejection uh, league, you know, the the fantasy league. And he said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Yeah, there's a there, the people uh, they draft umpires, and there's a point system, and it's all based on ejections and." And, and, and that, you know, crew ejections and, and individual ejections. And he says, he goes, I've never heard of that. We told, we gave him the website and said, uh, he goes, he goes, I've never heard of that, but that, that is, that, you can, first of all, he goes, that's hilarious. He goes, that, that's, that's great. I have a, a, you know, you know, the fantasy leagues, and all these sports are, are so big nowadays. And he said, an umpire fantasy. That's, that's awesome. Uh, he actually wrote in his blog, like the next day, uh, and I, you can find it online somewhere if you if you Google him and uh, and I, again I'm not sure what year it was probably about ten years ago maybe I don't know but um, he he said uh, he goes uh, uh, ran into uh, Dale Scott Dan Isonia the other night at Yankee Stadium uh, he gave us a nice compliment you know about umpires and whatever but he, he said and then he explained this uh, the first time he had heard about this umpire fantasy league and he said. Never heard of it. He goes, he goes, but I, I like it. It's, it's, it's intriguing. I, I like the, I like the concept or whatever, I, whatever he says, but you guys might, I don't know if you've seen that blog, but May, uh, you should try to look May 1st, 2010, uh, Keith Olbermann's MLB pro blog, an entry called umpire fantasy league. You say you can find it, a link to it on our press and inquiries page. Yeah, there you go. We had a, uh, a user, a couple users actually convinced that it has to be eight or nine years ago that Greg Gibson was secretly on the site because he had every ejection that he had was a correct call. So he was getting a, a Gil knows more about the points than I, but he missed a call and then took a lot of heat and didn't eject. So this guy was convinced that Greg Gibson had himself in the fantasy league and uh, was just, was just nailing it. I hear that uh, uh, a few more questions as we wind down here, Dale, over the course of a season, uh, do you always remain in rotation? You three, you two, you one plate. What would happen that could change a rotation? Uh, well, you know, in a perfect world, you're in rotation. Uh, you know, and it never it never changes uh, from day one until the end. But that's just uh, not reality. Basically, I mean, you have uh, you have your crew off weeks, but then you have individual off weeks, so that can adjust uh, the uh, rotation because you're you got a AAA guy coming up, or when a guy's coming off the, uh, his week off, you might want to you know you know set him up somewhere on the on the rotation or whatever um you have you know guys have to leave or you know for injuries guys have to leave for uh you know uh, family things graduations or weddings or whatever so that can uh disrupt the the, the flow of the of the rotation uh you uh you know there's all there's all kinds of things that can that can make you know one year one year i remember uh we had, I think Ronnie Culpa had a knee issue and, and had surgery and he was out for like six or eight weeks or something. And, uh, at, at one time for whatever reason, and sometimes I think they overthink it, but, 
you know, we always say, hey, you got your your, your fill-in guys. You know, if, if, if we got a guy that's going to be out three weeks, let's have a guy for three weeks. I mean, why, you know, because every time you, you know, you're going to get so-and-so uh, this week, and then after that series, you're going to get so-and-so. Well, then it's going to, you're going to have to, you know, screw with the rotation because it rarely, rarely just goes in order where you can do it. And, and, and when you bring a, a AAA guy up, if he's coming from another crew in the big leagues, uh, you can put them, you have more leeway on where you fit them into your crew. But if they're coming from AAA, you can only put them at second or third. You can't, unless they specifically tell you, hey, he hasn't worked the plate in four days. And I know you guys have been, you know, for whatever reason, been, you know, screwing around with the rotation. You can go ahead and put them on the plate uh, first day in or whatever. But you have to have permission from the league to do that. So, uh, you know, a lot of times just by that caveat that you have to put a new guy at, at no, no you know second or third but that again just immediately that means you're gonna have to switch guys around and, and maybe a guy moves up and what i try to do if, if i if a guy had to move up if he had to go from second to the plate uh at some point when we're doing these crew switches or whatever i try to move him back you know make up for it down the road it doesn't always happen that way but i i certainly try to uh make that happen so it basically for the most part evens out uh, as you go forward but sometimes it's just impossible to do that let's talk clothing by the way that question was from johnny g08 let's talk clothing dale you a uh, couple people uh are interested in uh why you always wore blue this question is from russ why did you always wear blue behind the plate and also um noah yingling asks is there any particular reason in the 90s you uh usually wore the red AL polos when others didn't. Well, when the, when the red came out in 95 and we had it uh, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, we had five seasons. Um, and of course, we, we, both leagues had the dark blue. Uh, the National League had the, the powder blue and, and, uh, and we had the red. And uh, I, you know, and the National League guys always, ah, your bowling shirts, they're going to go bowling. You know, it's like, <laughs> And I, 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 quite frankly, that the, the, there was no grand, uh, you know, some sophisticated reason why I wore the red every time. Uh, and I didn't, from day one, when we had the red shirts, I didn't wear it every time. There were still times I was wearing blue or if it was, you know, cold and I wore a pullover or whatever. But I started wearing red all the time because I was working with Rocky Rowe, uh, you know, Dave Phillips, Rocky Rowe and, and, and Derwood Merrill. Derwood didn't care, you know, uh, Derwood was happy just to get a shirt on, frankly, but, uh, that he, 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 by the way, one of the funniest men I ever, ever worked with. Uh, and I was with these guys for three years in a row, but Davey and Rocky hated the red. And at that time, there was a time where, where the, the plate man could wear red and, and the other guys wear blue. Uh, then they said, no, you got, if you're wearing shirts, if you're all wearing shirts, you got to wear the same color. Well, I, I, I would wear, if I was wearing a shirt on the plate, I'd wear red every time just because it pissed them off. And, uh, and, and Rocky had the best line cause they just, they just hated the red, you know? And so I saw, of course, you know, me being the crew guy that I am, I said, well, I'll wear the red then. Um, and, 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 and frankly on, on hot, uh, uh, you know, day games, uh, you know, the light blue or the red is going to be better than a black or a dark blue. I'm just saying. Um, but, uh, I remember Rocky had the best line. He goes, I hate the red, you know, and Rocky, you know, he had a few pounds on him and, uh, he said, I hate the red. When I'm at third base and I run over to second, I look like a human blood clot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
great line. Well, then uh, it, it, we got rid of the red, and, and, and uh, for a couple of years, early 2000s, we had some different type of uniforms. But we started, uh, and then we finally had the black and the light blue. And again, I, 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 maybe it's just a mental thing. I don't know. But on, 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 on hot days, I don't want to wear black. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I, I, it doesn't make sense to me if you have an option. Uh, why you would want to do that but some guys just absolutely flat out refused when i got the all-star game in 2011 i was the chief in phoenix and on the crew were a couple guys uh, jerry lane and, and hunter uh, windelstadt who i they never wear the blue or or so rarely uh you know we had some guys that they don't even pack the blue okay uh um and so i when i got the assignment for the all-star game i told kathy davis who uh was our uh, administrator in the league offices kathy you let everybody know by the way because you were sending out emails about the all-star games that you let everybody know that i am and it was of course in phoenix so you you know it's it's a it's a the dome was shut because it's so hot i said you let everybody know that i'm wearing blue and they will also and so they better pack that son of a gun because i don't think uh, lane or uh uh hunter uh ever packed the blue anyway i said yeah i don't want to show up there to put on the blue and they go gosh i don't have one and then i would have you know uh, so I made sure of that, but I, I just, it was a, kind of a branding thing. So many guys wore black that I figured, well, uh, uh, if I wear blue, you know, you almost immediately knew it was, it, it, the, the odds are it was me or o- only a couple other guys, you know, a lot of times because Tom Hallian, uh, Hallian, uh, you know, Angel wears Angel it, loved uh, it. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit. Some guys will wear it uh, only when it's just unbelievably hot and they will, uh, uh, finally put it on. But, uh, uh, there was no real grand scheme. Uh, the red was to piss off Rocky and Davey <laughs> and have fun with that. Yeah. And, uh, and the, and the blue is just, uh, because it was just a tradition. And when they came out right before I retired, I think, uh, two years before I retired, they came finally, finally with the mm-hmm. long sleeve blue. Hello. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Russ wants to know, Dale, you had one of the most unique strike mechanics in the game. How did you come up with that mechanic and how did you stick with it? Well, I saw uh, that uh, episode of Seinfeld when Elaine's dancing, and I thought that's probably <laughs> very, very similar to what I want to do. Um, you know, it was it evolved. Um, uh, part part of it was uh, Davy Phillips used to uh, used to uh, 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 strike three sometimes, kind of kind of go off to the side or do a little thing similar, and and. Uh, you know, I was I was trying to I was trying to come up with something that was I used to uh, uh, earlier in my career. Uh, I, I, uh, even on my strike one and strike two, I'd go off to my left when I would instead of off to the right, you know, and, and kind of cross cross the cross the body with it. Uh, but it finally evolved to, to, to what it was. And it was just, it's just something I was comfortable with. It was something that um, I, I it seemed to to, I got complimented for, so it seemed to, you know, the people, uh, you know, it was a positive, uh, you know, outcome with it. And, and, and so I just, uh, I just stuck with it. And, and, you know, now, I mean, you know, it used to, again, I just sound like an old, well, I guess I am old, but, uh, it, you know, it used to be, you could, you could turn on a game and, and almost immediately you could identify the plate umpire, um, uh, because everybody had a different, their own unique little stance or, or, or strike call or whatever it is. And you could, you, you could pick up on it pretty quickly and, you know, not, not, uh, you know, uh, not criticizing, but a lot of guys look very similar now, you know, and, and it's, and it takes a while to, 
either get a, a number or, or, you know, figure out who it is. And, uh, and that's one of the things I, I did like about the fact that uh, my stance and, and, and then my uh, strike call and, and, and specifically my strike three call uh, it was kind of a branding thing that you pretty much, if you follow baseball at all, if it, it knew umpires at all, you pretty much uh, would know it was me really quickly. Absolutely. Ryan wants to know uh, about your number. I know you came up with 39, but uh, you switched to five, I believe, in your third year. It was recently taken over by another umpire, Angel Hernandez. Um, what is Major League Baseball's uh, signing process for numbers? And uh, do you, uh, I guess, I guess the question is, do you have any ill will to or Angel Hernandez for t- taking your number so quick? Well, it's funny. A little story, a little background on, uh, you know, I, I, I get hired in the, in the American League and, and I was given number 39. And uh, Tim Cheetah was hired the same day and he was given number 38. We, we had no say in that whatsoever. And after I had the first, my first two years, well, after my second year and my second year, my sophomore year in the big leagues was by far my worst year. I struggled mightily. I was not believed. I was uh you know it was it, it was a tough year and and uh and that's a whole nother story i could tell you guys maybe if we do this again because it, it, i was almost fired uh I, I had to go to the dominican that winter it, there was it, there's a lot going on there um uh but it quite frankly marty springstead saved my career and and, and got me on the right path and, and everything uh, went up from there but um so after the second year, Marty uh, gave me a call in the offseason. He said, hey, Scotty, he said, uh, we got uh, some open numbers. We got number five if you want it. And I said, yes. He goes, well, that was quick. He goes, well, listen, Marty, here, here's why. I said, at that time, we were just American League umpires. They said, we have a staff of 32, and my number's 39. Okay, that's one thing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not great at math, but that, doesn't, that just doesn't look good, I don't think. Um, I said, uh, two, after the, after the season I just had, I'm in the umpire protection program. And so maybe uh, a, a, a number change, they won't know who I am when I come on the field this third year uh, and I'll, I'll get a fresh start. And I said, and finally, uh, let's be honest, Marty, the 39 is not on the roulette wheel. <laughs> he, starts, he starts laughing. He goes, well, that's great, Scotty. That's just great. I can't wait till I uh, tell uh, Dr. Brown that uh, Scotty wants five because so, he's uh, finally on the roulette wheel. That's great. That's really good, Scotty. <laughs> Now, when we merged in 2000, I had seniority over Angel. We were both fives, so I it was you know I got to keep five, and he went to 55. And he 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 uh, he told me uh, uh, well last last year I, I I got hit in April. I was at uh, Steve Palermo's Celebration of Life in Kansas City in in uh, late June, and a lot of the guys had off days or were, were able to get to uh, to the uh, the service. But uh, an angel was there, and and that's when I, I had just signed off on June first with the league that I was going to be uh, on a medical leave of absence the rest of last season, and then officially retire uh, January first. So I knew it was all official; everything was uh, tied up at that point. So I, I, you know, I told him, and he said, he said, I hope you don't mind. I, I want, I'd love to wear your number five again. You know, like I used to. I said, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, that's absolutely. I mean. Uh, it, go go for it. I, I, I you know, I, I, I teased uh, uh, Matt McKendry in the in the league office and, and some of the guys. I said, I mean, at least have one year grace period. I mean, come on, you know, like one year of mourning. You know, like <laughs> I, I had that, I had that uh, number for thirty years. I mean, give me just one year of uh, you know. But no, but they, I'm you know, that's fine. The Angel has it. And I, he's happy with it. That's the, that was his number uh, when he broke into the National League, and and so uh, five uh, five still lives. 
couple rapid fires here as we close up shop on the plate meeting with uh, T Mac Gill and our special guest Dale Scott. Who was your favorite umpire ever to work with? Wow, I don't know if I can narrow that down to one. I mean, obviously Danny Isonia. Uh, just a, the ten years we were together was just a joy. Uh, early in my career, I mean, you know, Richie Garcia helped me a lot when I was after that second year. I was talking about I was struggling. I was with him for the next three years. Uh, and that's exactly where I should have been. I mean, he's an outstanding instructor and can see things uh, uh, that a lot of guys, quite frankly, when you're out working, you don't see because, you know, you're doing your own thing. He, he can see everything. And he, he was a lot of help for me in my career. Uh, later in the career, uh, Davey Phillips, I was with uh, quite a bit. Rocky Rowe is one of my favorite guys to ever walk on the field with. Um, I, I mentioned Durwood. You know, I, I, nowadays, I, I uh, Ron Culpa, we had a, a Danny and, and Culp and I, I think, had five years in a row together. And, and uh, you know, I, I could tell you stories there, but then I'd have to kill you. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Joyce, I only worked with him a couple times, but he or one full crew, or actually two crew years, one in 95 and then again in 2002, my first full year as a, as a crew chief. And uh, But, you know, Jimmy's a super guy. Wait, a lot of a lot of good guys. It's hard. Joe Brinkman. I can't I can't not forget Joe. I mean, Joe was another uh, mentor of mine, and and I didn't get to work. I only worked one full season with him. It was '99, which was kind of a tough year for umpires. Um, but uh, he was he was a joy to work with. I see him every year. Usually in January, he comes out to uh, Palm Springs, uh, stays with Daryl Cousins. They play like ten days of golf, and and we always go out to dinner and stuff. So he's uh, he's also one of my favorites. That question from Chuck123, uh, bow ties with uh, Noah Yingling's question, which you may have just answered. Who is your favorite crew chief coming up along the way? Well, I, I, you know, I, I'd have to, you know, I'd have to say three. I'd have to say, I'd have to say uh, uh, Garcia, Phillips, and, and Brinkman, even though Brinkman was just one full year. And, I, and, and, and my first year, I worked with him like uh, six weeks. But those are my favorite. But I'll tell you what, I, I had early in my career, I, I had some good uh, uh not a full year, but good uh, uh, stretches of time with uh, with uh, Don Denkinger. I, I worked a full year with him my second year. Uh, 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 also, uh, Larry Barnett. Uh, you know, so I mean, we had we had some really good crew chiefs. My my year with Larry Young in two thousand was one of the most fun I ever had. Uh, uh, Fielding Culberth was on that crew, and Fletcher and and Youngie was the chief, and. Uh, uh, we laughed, man. We laughed a lot. So uh, we had a good time with with uh, Youngie, and uh, so there's a lot of good guys up there. Well, our last two questions, Dale, come from both Chuck one, two, three. Uh, do you think it's possible for baseball to ever have an automatic robotic strike zone? Is it possible? Yes, uh, because uh, they could do it now. If I mean, they have the technology or whatever, they could do it. Uh, will it happen? Never say never, but I certainly hope not. You know. Um, Replay has been good. Uh, the, the the negatives of it, and there are some, uh, the positive far outweigh it. I mean, before replay, uh, I always tell this story that the first year of expanded replay, I was at uh, Miami. The Dodgers were there. Uh, tie game, top of the ninth. Nobody on, nobody out. Uh, Puig gets on first. He steals second. I call him out. Uh, Maddenly comes out so when they would come out and uh, it, you know, waiting for a signal and 
Don and I are standing there. Of course, I had him as a player. And I said, so this is what it comes to, huh, Don? We just stand here and uh, make small talk? He goes, yeah, I guess so. You know, <laughs> so it's like waiting for the signal. But anyway, we went to replay. I was wrong. He was uh, safe. Next guy hits it off the wall. He scores. That ends up being the winning run. Now, if we had not had replay, all they would have talked about how the Dodgers got screwed because I missed a call at second and, and he would have scored on the base hit. And that's all they would have talked about. Now that we have replay, it wasn't even mentioned. It's not even, it's not even in Now, am I happy I miss it? Of course not. I, I, I wish I had got the play right. But the, the, the replay has, has, has helped us. And some people say, well, it takes too long. Well, yeah, but you got to remember, we're not having the arguments like we had. Uh, you know, uh, in the t- and, and, our, and, and our replay reviews are much, much quicker now as we're getting used to how we do this stuff. But but uh, remember, there's always these arguments that we used to have and nothing would change anyway. And, and so, you know, whatever. But um, so that's that's the thing about replay. Now, as far as a, the, the strike zone and, and not having an umpire called pitches to me, we've now gone too far. <laughs> I mean, it, it's the point of do you want a baseball game or do you want a video game? Um, and, and that's really what it comes down to. I understand why you want to correct errors that we make, especially, uh, you know, the Jimmy Joyce uh, issue that happened in Detroit. I mean, that's, you want those corrected as an umpire, even though I missed it, I want it corrected. You know, it's, it's not embarrassing to me to correct it. It's embarrassing to me that I've missed it, but I'm not embarrassed. It's corrected. I'm glad it's corrected because that's, uh, that's what it should be. But, um, when you start doing pitches, um, you know, I mean, at what point are we going to pull the plug? I mean, are, are we going to say uh, with the bases loaded, one out, there's a double play ball right to the second baseman, made to order double play, and it, it goes through his legs? Are we going to say after further review, he usually makes that play, so we're going to give him uh, two outs? <laughs> of course not. You know, of course we're not going to do that. But but uh, that's kind of kind of the direction you go, and I, that's an extreme, but it's the direction you go if you have a, have a machine start calling pitches. And by the way, be careful what you wish for. Because as we all know, if a pitch enters any part of the strike zone, it's a strike, and you have that pitch right at the knees, right at the front of the plate, uh, right on the outside corner that is caught, you know, four inches uh, outside and, 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 and barely off the ground, technically that's a strike. Uh, uh, an umpire, the art of umpiring is that you don't call that a strike, and no one expects it to be a strike, but the machine doesn't know that. It's going to call that, and you're going to have chaos, you know, so... Uh, be careful what you wish for. I hope that doesn't happen. We we get those. We see those plays. That not only does the the box that the the the, the horrible box they have on the screen show it's a strike, but then the, the especially the twelve six breaking balls bounce. Yeah, yeah. And could you imagine? Yeah. balls bouncing to the catcher being called strikes. Well, I don't. You know, you know the thing. The thing. The thing is, is that there, there's the science of umpiring. You know the. the rules and the, and the, and the, and the, you know, the, the distances, the 90 feet and, you know, all that stuff that it's, it's always, you know, you're, you know, whatever, but then there's the art and, and, and the art is, is, is the human element is what that is. And, and so uh, if you lose that um, uh, and I'm not talking about human element because we make mistakes once. So I'm talking about just, you know, being, uh, you know, in the real world, you know, I mean, like you just said, a pitch like that, that technically hits, just a little part of that strike zone is by rule a strike. But if you, you're not going to advance too far, if you call that a strike all the time. And finally, since uh, this site started basically as an umpire ejection fantasy league, it's been uh, well before even I knew of it. It's we, we close our, our conversation with, with Dale Scott asking 90 major league ejections, numerous minor league ejections. You mentioned being in the Cal league. Do you have a favorite, most memorable ejection over your career? 
Well, the, the Billy Martin one is one just because it was, you know, just because of what it was. Um, um, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, I remember certainly, I remember my first ejection was Doug to Sensei's, uh, I, uh, over at, it was a check swing. I was at first and he didn't like that. I, I remember, uh, uh, you know, my first manager was Sparky and, uh, he sprayed me with t- tobacco juice. I was just face and, and upper shirt was covered and, and, uh, Larry McCoy was on the crew. And after he left, he handed me a handkerchief that he could, you know, and I wiped a lot. It looked like a, uh, you know, I, I dropped in a, in a, in a, in a, that of a chocolate or something it was all bright. and and when i wrote up the report and i said that he sprayed me with the back well the, the the tigers uh told the league well sparky quit chewing so that's a lie he didn't he didn't spray it's oh. on the video it's on the video it's you know and the, and the whole thing uh, but uh that's kind of how we were backed back then at times uh, the league presence well you know uh the tiger said he doesn't chew anymore so uh we'll have to disregard that it's like are you kidding me <laughs> seriously um, but I, I, if I had to pick one, I would have to probably say that the Billy Martin one, just because of the, uh, the notoriety, uh, notoriety of it all. And, uh, I, you know, there's several that I can think of, right. I mean, when I ran Jimmy Williams in game four of the LCS 99 in Fenway, uh, we had a tough series. Uh, we missed a call in New York in game, uh, one that went against, uh, Boston. And then we missed a call that game, uh, in game four. That went against Boston in Fenway, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, you, you playoff games, you, you try not to, you hope you don't have ejections, but sometimes you do. I mean, you know, stuff happens, and uh, we had to change. Cheetah and I had to change our uh, uh, hotel registration. We changed uh, different names, you know, because uh, uh, there were not a lot of happy people in Fenway or in the New England area uh, with us. And the next day, of course, I was at first. I go to the plate. It ended up being the deciding game. The Yankees went and went on to the series. But, I mean, talk about a buildup, uh, you know, going to work the plate after an ejection the night before, after the, your crew has uh, made a couple major mistakes in a series. Not not a lot of fun, the buildup to that one. Well, Dale, we can't thank you enough. This has been tremendous. After some technical difficulties early, which we'll have to save for the, uh, what do you call it, the blooper reel. Blooper reel, uh, yeah. <laughs> we got it together and just made for a tremendous podcast. We can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, keep up uh, the good work. And, uh, uh, I, you know, it's, I, I took one for the team because I followed Bob Davidson. I know that's tough, but I did it, <laughs> and, uh, and we'll be okay. And, thank you. Uh, that, that'll just about wrap it up here on the plate meeting right here at Close Call Sports. For our guest, Dale Scott. And uh, our owner, Gil, this is T-Mac. Until next time, happy umpiring, everyone. Okay, so, um, you know, Dale, thanks for joining us. Well, it's been a lot of fun being on this uh, fantastic podcast. Well, that's just not true. We're going to have to edit that out.